What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Zuby is a world-famous rapper, author, podcast host, and public speaker. In this conversation, we talked about everything that we're not allowed to talk about, including the importance of not being a coward in today's society, mass shootings, the politicalization of the world, the obsession with diversity, secretaries of state for health that don't look so healthy, and many, many more topics that most of you will be very interested in. I really enjoyed this conversation with Zuby, as I always do, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think once you've completed it, and without any further ado, let's get into this episode with Zuby. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang, Zuby's here. I think this is your third or fourth time on the show uh, in person, and I thought a fantastic place to start would be the importance of not being a coward on the internet today. It feels like there's tons of people who publicly don't say shit, Mm -hmm. and then I go to dinner with them, I talk to them in private, and they'll just go off. And I'm like, yo, you're like a little bitch (laughs) online. And you're super based or yeah. like at least willing to like say what you actually believe in private. Like, why is that happening? Ooh, man, that's a, that's a big question. And I think last time I was here, I talked about the pandemic of cowardice that I felt was going on in society and happening across the world. And it's something that I, I understand. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. Um, I think one of the most common human desires is to fit in with people. And another is to avoid criticism and backlash and avoid rocking the boat. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why we have those tendencies and it it makes sense, right? Most of us don't want to go around every day and deal with more conflict than we have to both online and offline. So, you know, there's no one and it wouldn't be sensible to be constantly saying absolutely everything that's on your mind at all times or getting in every single conflict or argument that you have to and so on. So I understand that to a degree. I think the problem is when it does become actual cowardice, right? Not just like a basic level of decorum or sensibility, but when people are genuinely afraid to say something that needs to be said or do something that needs to be done. Um, And I think especially over the past, I mean, the past few years that we've just lived through, it became so clear, number one, how pervasive that cowardice is and how unwilling people are to speak out even when it's very, very necessary. I mean, you've really seen this play out a lot over the past decade, to be honest with you. Um, But I I think most of it is is self-preservation and wanting to maintain social status and social currency and to, you know, of course, there's people who have, people often use their jobs and their families and say, oh, well, you know, we, the truth is we all have stuff to lose. Mm-hmm. People have this idea that, oh, there's these people who can speak out and these people who can't because these people are in some amazing, it's like, no, there's people who are broke with jobs who will speak out. And there are people who are billionaires <laughs> and who are self-employed and have true FU money and whatever, but they're absolute cowards. In fact, this goes for the majority of um, 
celebrities. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a character thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's really a character thing. And it's one of those things that day to day, it's not always a problem, but everything we do is habitual. So both cowardice and courage are both habitual and contagious. So that's why I use that term pandemic of cowardice, right? Because when everyone else is behaving in a certain way, the fewer people who are speaking out, the harder it is mm -hmm. to speak out. And one of the things that frustrates me about it is number one, it, it's why certain things keep getting worse because people are not taking any type of stand and continually refuse to for years on end. Um, but also it puts the burden on, it increases the burden on those of us who are willing to say something, right? People want to hide behind the sofa and cheer on. You know, imagine, I don't know, you're, you're, you're with a group of friends and I don't know, somebody jumps you and your friends all jump and hide behind a sofa and they're like, yeah, go get them, Pop, go get them. It's like, bro, like you're hiding behind the sofa. Like you come, <laughs> don't put it now. Now, I've, you know, there, there's five of us and five of them. Now it's five on me. And, and when the fight's over, then you have a friend who's like, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah I'm glad they left. <laughs> Hold me back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why it can get, it can get frustrating. So to me, one of the things I hear most often, I mean, I've been, I travel a lot. I've been to probably, I mean, most, most people were not traveling much over the last few years. I went to eight different countries, dozens of different cities. And when I get recognized in public or if I do meetups or you know, the thing most people say is, well, firstly, thanks, <laughs> people who recognize me. Um, but I'm often thanked for my courage. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to me because on one hand, it is a compliment and I'm like, thanks. On another hand, it kind of annoys me because it makes me realize, like, why is the bar for courage so low? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't consider myself, may maybe I'm a more courageous person than average, but I don't consider myself like, ultra brave. I mean, there's people who are in in the military, there's firefighters, there's police officers risking their lives dealing with really dangerous criminals and so on. I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to be in the military, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm just, I'm just talking, I'm saying things, I'm talking on podcasts, I'm talking in my music, I'm talking on Twitter. That to me, that's, I mean, if people don't feel free to talk here in the, in the USA, in the UK, in Canada, in Australia, or places where you're supposed to have actual freedom of speech, both in a legal sense and also in a cultural sense, then what hope do we have for the rest of the world? And part of the problem, another part of the problem with it is you, you can't fix anything unless you can talk. Mm -hmm. This is one of the biggest issues I have with political correctness. And when I talk about political correctness, I'm not talking about basic politeness and civility. Um, I'm talking about political correctness in the true sense that there's things you, you, oh, you, you can't talk about, you can't, oh, you can't say that. It's like, what? How, how can there be a, a fact or a piece of data or a statistic or something that's just real or even even, even if it's an opinion that you're, you just can't you, – you can't say? Because if you can't – if you're not allowed to discuss a topic, you can't, you can't fix it. And that's the, one of the biggest problems that is going on and is plaguing the West as far as I'm concerned. There are certain issues that are happening on different levels, societal issues – crime issues, cultural issues, political issues, and you're not even allowed to talk about them. Well, I mean, you, you are. Like, I'm not saying you're not allowed to, but people feel like you're not allowed to. There's or social your own. pressure. It's yeah. like legally you're allowed to talk about it, and mm -hmm. if you talk about it, uh, no one is going to come knock on your door and say uh, you are under arrest. Yes. But 
you will lose friends, you will be shunned from certain groups, mm -hmm. and you will feel the social pressure of why are you talking about that? Mm -hmm. Why are you questioning this thing? But do you think that there's been a shift from, I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia, maybe it's uh, uh, hindsight bias, maybe it's just uh, we're young, dumb kids, but growing up it felt like when you were told something by uh, a position of power, expertise, influence, uh, government, you know, mm -hmm. wh whatever you want to put in that category. The default was you believed it until you found something to make you question it. Yeah. Now it feels like the default when we're told something, maybe it's the internet, maybe it's whatever. The default is I do not believe that and I question it. And I only believe it once I learn the information that confirms that it's true. Uh-huh. Do you feel that shift from like the <laughs> default position being acceptance to now maybe questioning? That doesn't mean you don't believe it as much as it's just like the default is now critical thinking or crit critical questioning of what you're being told. Have we lived through the same past three years? <laughs> I don't know. Have we? It's not the default. You don't think so? No, the default is complete acceptance of the narrative. Clearly. See, I, I don't know if I agree with that. How can you disagree after what we've just lived through? Because- if you look at uh, the virus uh -huh. as, as one thing, I agree. Okay. If you look at the economic story, mm -hmm. I don't think the majority of people in America believe that uh, inflation is low, not a problem, transitory, whatever. Well, at this, at this point, it's hitting them in the face. Yes. So it's hard for people to deny it now. A year ago, even though you could – it was obviously coming mm -hmm. a year ago. I think majority of people would have bought that line. Now you you can't say it and have any credibility because people are there and they're in their store or, they're, the grocery store. or they're at the gas pump and they're like, well, this is like, like that shit says $5 and never said that before. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and this, this is, this, this is the sad reality is that people, humans always have to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. Right. Not every single person, but in general, people like learning the, the hard way. Uh, they want to put their hand in, in the fire and get burned. You can tell them, yo, don't touch the fire. The fire, the fire mm -hmm. is hot. And this goes across a lot of different subjects. But oftentimes the lesson will not be learned until it until it happens and it affects that individual directly. This is something I've talked about for many years. And one reason why I publicly started speaking out more about a lot of stuff was just that I could see where you could, I could, I just, I have a good foresight. I have mm -hmm. good foresight. I practice second, third, fourth order thinking. And it's like, okay, well, this thing's going to lead to this thing. And this thing's going to lead to this thing. And if there's no resistance, one crazy thing that can happen in a population is a very tiny minority of people who are dedicated can completely shift and control society and culture. Right. And I'm not even just talking about the people who re are referred to as the elites or whatever. I'm talking about fringe activist groups. I'm talking about- Have you about ever heard of the are, ESG movement? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, e but even, even on a lower scale, right? There are some really kooky ideas that have been floating around at this point for years, which almost nobody believes in. Mm -hmm. But people are afraid to say that they don't. People will still go along with the narrative or at- Is there an example of, of something that like sticks out in your mind? Dude, I'm, I'm the British women's deadlift record holder. Still- <laughs> <laughs> Say that again for people so they, they get right. it. I said I'm the British women's deadlift record holder. Bro, that no, was... No, no woman's beat you? How can they? They need to have uh, some advantage. Um, <laughs> they need to have something most women do So don't. you still are the record holder? 
Uh, I think if you Google UK women's deadlift record, someone can verify this for me, but I think my name still pops right up. Um, but my point is, I did that in February 2019. This is three and a half years ago now. This is still a conversation. This is still a quote unquote debate and so on. Bro, no one believes this. Nobody, how, how many people, if you go outside, you go in any, in, around the USA even, and you ask people, are biological males and females different? Do you think it is fair for males to compete against females in profession? No one believes it. No one believes that men can get pregnant. No one believes that women have penises. But we're living in this weird world where people would even be afraid to say what I just said. Oh my gosh, he just said that women don't have penises. It's like, bro, like, we know this. That's not a controversial statement. Why am I, why am I even saying this? Like, we're in this weird battle of... Of, for, for reality, that's one of the most concerning things about, about this all is that it's not that, okay, we're agreeing on objective reality and people have different opinions on how to interpret it or what should be done with it or so on. It's people are no longer even agreeing on objective reality. We saw this again all through the, all through the pandemic situation. And it was like, well, if, if we can't even like agree just on the, the reality and numbers and they, you know, just even just what we can all observe, then we're, we're in massive trouble, right? So you, this goes back to like, I, I think the default was always, uh, at least the perception mm -hmm. was like science and math yeah. were not political. Now it's not completely true. And uh, maybe the science standpoint, because for decades, centuries, whatever, uh, there would be certain scientific breakthroughs. People wouldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, the earth is round. People would get killed for saying that, <laughs> whatever. Right. So it, it's not, exactly black and white. Mm. But I do think that most people for a very long time thought that it wasn't like Fox News and MSNBC were going to argue over gravity. Yes. Right? Like, yes. like, like there were things that were just not yeah. political. <laughs> Where my mind started to change on this and I was like, oh shit, we're going to a place we don't want to go. Was I read an article, this is maybe two to four years ago. So, it's, you know, I forget exactly what. Mm -hmm. And it talked about the massive investment that was being made by MSNBC, Fox News, and CNN in weather. Interesting. And I was like, why are they all going so hard at weather? Mm. And obviously the weather channel in the United States had been super successful and, and, and there was a, a business there. And then towards the end of the article, I started talking about climate change. Mm -hmm. It's a political issue. Yes. I was like, wait a minute, ain't that a science issue? No. Like, what's going on? And then that's when it dawned on me. I said, oh my God, yep. the media companies are going to compete over science mm -hmm. because whoever gets to say we have the science gets the political upper hand in all of their other coverage. Yeah. Hey, dude, it's, it's, it's a problem. And the politicization of everything is, is a huge problem. I mean, I did a thread on this just the other day on, on Twitter and I was just saying this obsession with politicizing and racializing everything especially in the USA, it's a big problem. It happens in other places, but not like this. Like I'm from the, I'm from the UK and it's not any issue. I mean, you know, I don't know when this interview comes out, but as we, you know, just yesterday, there's an, another shooting that happened um, in a city and you're, I'm there and everyone's talking about race and Democrats and Republicans. And I'm like, guys, 
what the heck, man? Like every time, every time there's a, there's a mass shooting, there's a, there's a tragedy, there's something awful that happens. People, some people's minds immediately jumps to, okay, what race was the perpetrator? What race was the, uh, were the victims? Um, were, what were their leanings? Were they right leaning? Were, were they, were they a white nationalist or was it a white guy? Was it, a, was it a black? And I'm like, dude, like the bodies are warm. Like, mm -hmm. How, how are you immediately, some tragedy happens, your immediate thought is like, okay, how can I use this to fit my political agenda? Or how can I use this to demonize the group that I feel some kind of animosity towards or whatever? And I'm like, dude, that's sick. Like that's, that's really messed up. Um, there's a time and place for certain conversations, but it's just like, man, like, and, and I think even with these, with these situations this is another problem is that it's all talked about on such a shallow level mm -hmm. it's all talked about on such a shallow level you know it's like okay you're allowed to talk about guns of course you can talk about guns right you can fish oh you know it's guns 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 you know when can we have the talk about the spiritual war that's going on when can we have a conversation about morality mm -hmm. when can we have a conversation about family and fathers and community and morality right when can we even talk about you know, you can, you can sort of talk about mental health and pharmaceuticals, that's allowed. But, you know, as soon as you go into kind of any spiritual or moral realm, anything that's a little bit deeper, you know, it's like, oh, no, we, 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 can't even, we can't even talk about that. And it's like, well, you're going to keep getting this problem until you're allowed to talk about it, right? If you're only, if, if the thing is just, oh, we need to ban AR-15s and we need to reduce the magazine. I'm like, bro, like in the UK, it's stabbings. And in the UK, they do the same thing, by the way. They're oh, like, they're oh, maybe, knives. maybe, yeah, we need to, I mean, we need to reduce the length of knives. I'm like, dude, if someone wants to hurt or kill somebody, we all have access to lethal weapons. Every single person. We all own knives. We all pretty much own vehicles. We have bats. We have clubs. We have fists. We have feet, right? If you want, and by the way, I think it's important for people to know that even in the US, way more people are killed by those weapons than they are by rifles. Mm -hmm. Right. More people are stabbed to death. More people are beaten to death. Right. And way more people are obviously killed by handguns and so on. But it's just this obsession of, you know, we, we've got this political thing about this particular tool. And it's just so it's so shallow and so superficial and so annoying. And ultimately, the reason it the reason it pisses me off is because people are just going to keep on getting hurt and keep on getting die and keep on dying until you until some real conversations are had. Yeah. Right. I, I think a lot about the media coverage of this stuff as well. Yes. So you're talking about like the internet conversation, mm -hmm. right? To the degree of uh, a shooting happens yep. and immediately gets polarized. Media right? does the same thing. Um, yeah. But, but they also uh, in some way are uh, by not covering certain things, mm -hmm. they are telling us a lot about society. And so uh, I don't know, maybe the last couple of weeks or whatever, I, I saw that there's a Twitter account and uh, every Monday uh, or Sunday night, they will tweet out how many people were shot and killed in Chicago. Oh, boy. Yeah. And the numbers are, like, staggering. It's insane. Right? It, it'll be, like, you know, 35 people were killed over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And you're, like, yo, what? Like, mm -hmm. I, I didn't hear about that anywhere else. And then you're, like, okay, go in the comments. Take away their guns. Do this. And then people are, like, dude, the guns are illegal. Mm -hmm. But, like, you can't have the gun. Mm -hmm. Right? And the criminals still somehow figure out how to get it. And, and it goes back to this idea of, like, wait a minute. Like, what if our entire like framework for evaluating the problem it's wrong. is wrong. It is wrong. And okay, so explain. It's completely wrong. As I said, look, it's a problem of the human heart and the human spirit, right? If you, why, why do, I, I think sometimes it's important to 
not just consider why people do things, but to consider why they don't. Okay. So as we've established, we, we both have access and the physical capability to kill, right? We have access to weapons and we have the capability to kill, right? Um, why don't we, why don't we kill people? No, honestly, right? Why, why, why? Well, one, we want to be a good person. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is uh, there, there's this almost a social contract with the people in your community mm-hmm. of uh, let's all get along to mm-hmm. some degree. Uh, three is you'll go to jail, right? So there's like a punishment component mm-hmm. to I'd it. I'd say that that's pretty low down. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, well, here's I, the I way. Think it, the moral, I think the moral aspects and ethical aspects are much, much higher than the threat of. Without a doubt. I mean, uh, I remember when uh, Egypt went through uh, the uprising, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, And everyone was like, it was Twitter, it was Twitter, it was Twitter, Mm -hmm. right? And yes, social media, without a doubt, I think everyone who looked at that situation and and learned about it would say social media played a role. Mm -hmm. But you know what played a bigger role? They didn't have food. Yes. Guess what? Everyone thinks that they're a super moral, uh, ethical person until literally they're looking at their wife and their kids mm-hmm. and they're like, if you, I don't go and kill our neighbor, my kids won't eat and they will die of a starvation. Mm. It's horrible. The, it's just, it just becomes the most brutal form of human nature. Mm-hmm. And obviously those are very extreme cases. They yes. happen very, very infrequently uh, globally, thankfully, mm-hmm. but you can, take the watered down version and bring it back to there's a, a morality aspect. There's a huge morality aspect. Okay. Let's take one, let's take one specific issue, which is a hot topic, not just in the U S but globally school shootings. Mm-hmm. Okay. When did that really, when did that become a more regular thing? Mm-hmm. Right. It's only in the past couple of decades. For sure. The guns have, the guns have been there. Kids used to wear in the sixties, the seven kids were taking rifles to school. Kids had guns in their lockers and so on. School shootings were very, very rare, mm-hmm. right? It was around the Columbine time where mm-hmm. it started to become this. Like what, early 2000s probably. Yeah, I want to say like, like late, I want to say like late 90s or yeah. early 2000s and so on. So how can you say it's just the guns when the guns have always been there? Mm-hmm. If the guns have always been there and the problem just really started, say, 25 years ago, right? How can, you know, guns were not introduced as a new thing. Um, so yes, of course. Well, there's there's more guns on the school campuses 25 plus yes, years ex- ago. Right? Yes, yeah. this, is, this, this is my point, right? Or even if you look within cities, like where are shootings happening? Ooh, it's happening in places with the heaviest gun control laws mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. It's not just as simple as more guns equals more shooting. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's, it's really not that simple. Even if you look at a country like Europe, I think Switzerland is the most heavily armed country in Europe, I believe followed by Finland. Right? Wow. And you're not getting a lot of shootings in, you know, there's probably more shoot. I believe there's more, there's going to be more shootings in the UK than there are mm-hmm. in, in, in Switzerland, even per capita and so on. So it's not that simple. The problem is people wanting to hurt and kill other people. Mm-hmm. You, if you want, if you decide if an individual decides they want to hurt or kill another person or a group of people, they will use whatever tools are at their disposal. Yes, sure. It might be easier to kill people with, a gun, but you, there's bombs, there's knives, there's, there's vehicles, right? Some of the most brutal killings that have happened in Europe were just someone taking a van or a truck and just running it through a crowd. This is what happened in New York City. Right. I think it's happened t- at least two stories that I know. Yeah. Uh, and in one case, they rented like a U-Haul truck mm-hmm. and just drove down the yeah. bike path. So my, the thing is, okay, so the questions to me is like, why, what, what possesses someone to do that? And as I said, the flip side, okay, most people, 99.9% of people 
wouldn't even dream of doing it. I wouldn't do it. So what are they getting right and what's going wrong here? And if you look at the individuals who do this, there's always a pattern. First, it's always young men. Mm-hmm. It's not women doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not girls. It's always young men, typically between, say, 15 and 30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. What else do they have in common? Majority of time, there's no father in the picture. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's a factor. Oftentimes, they're on some type of psychoactive substance or drug, right? Oftentimes, they're known to the authorities already, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's a certain profile where you could narrow this down and be like, okay, what's going on here, right? So there's some type of depravity here. There's some type of moral loss, the way this child has been raised, something that's going on in their brain. Like there's some, there's stuff that's going on there. Um, and I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. My thing is just this conversation we're having, this this should be the conversation. As soon as people are just there, oh, you know, I'm talking about magazine sizes and AR-15s. I'm just like, dude. You don't think that person could have done that with a handgun or with a shotgun or like it's it's just so I know people have their political pet causes and they they have their people like this idea. Here's another big one. And I've I've tweeted this before and it went viral. I said, we keep looking for political realm solutions to spiritual realm problems and being surprised when it doesn't work. Yeah, I think it's a great way. Not everything can be solved with politics. And people don't like to hear that because in this rather increasingly secular society that that we're living in, people increasingly view the government as the be all and end all and view everything through this political lens. I also think there's an element where uh, when it's politics, Mm -hmm. I have a weapon to tell you what to do. Yes. When it's spiritual, I only have a weapon to try to improve my situation. That there's there's no way for me really to use uh, a spiritual tool mm-hmm. to impact you, control you, or anything, right? Yeah. Yes, you can try to get you to go to church or you know whatever, uh, but it's not as direct of a control mechanism as let's change the rules, no. let's use the police, let's you know mm-hmm. do whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I um I'm reading this book. Uh, it's called Colts. Okay. Uh, uh, I was in the bookstore and I saw it and I was like, what the hell is this? Right? Open it up. It's Ten people. And uh, as you can imagine, cults have a very negative connotation um, and usually because they end in some horrific way. Yes. Uh, and the first 50 pages of this book, Charles Manson and the whole story. Mm. Now, Charles Manson, I think a lot of people would say, uh, I heard the name before, uh, especially young people. Uh, I know bad person. Uh, There's some murders, but I don't really know the story. Mm. In this book, the first 20, 25 pages is all about his childhood. Okay. It's exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely horrific, got moved uh, multiple times between all these different homes, in and out of jail, uh, to the point where like 10 years old, like stealing a car and like going across state lines, right? I mean, just like to the point where you're just like, this is really bad compared to on the scale of like a bad 10 year old, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's just like, if you looked at that child's life, Mm. you wouldn't think that they became the president of the United States. Yeah. Now, you might not jump to the conclusion that there was murder and cults and, you know, kind of the other extreme, uh, but it's kind of just like, yeah, of course that person has challenges. Yes. And of course that person probably ended up in a place that society was like, man, we wish that people didn't go there. Yeah. And so it, it just made me think a lot about like, that is a situation where like, there's no ability for somebody else to show up without understanding that backstory and be able to help that individual. Mm-hmm. Like, like the context is so important. Now, again, that doesn't excuse the behavior. No, it doesn't do not. any of this stuff, right? It's still horrific. Yeah. 
But like, that's a pretty big fucking detail of a story. And as you see some of these people who go and do these horrific things today mm. in society, that's what you're talking about. Like, there's the uh, uh, the drugs that they're on. It's broken families. It's uh, known to the authorities. That's the one that always gets yep. me. It's like you're telling me that the police knew this person had threatened to go kill people a bunch of mm -hmm. times, and somehow they still or did it. Or they'd like dismembered a kitten or like done some really effed up thing. And, and you know, we don't have the data, right? So we yeah. don't know how many times does the authorities get alerted to uh, this person is a, a person of interest, yes. right? Or, or however they characterize it. And then what percent of those people actually go and do something super horrific? Yeah. You, you also can't arrest pe crime people for crimes they have not committed. Correct. Right. Um, that's a factor, you know, there's, there's so many factors and it, and it's complicated, you know, I'm not, and, and that's part of the problem. I think this is why people want the simple solution. Yeah, you're not allowed solution, to say that. You can't right? say it's people, complicated. People want the simple solution. <laughs> it's, it's complicated and it, it's also generational mm -hmm. and it's multifaceted, right? I'm not saying that it's just the one, the one thing, right? There can be political elements, social elements, uh, religious or spiritual elements, like overall morality and social fabric elements and so on, you know, a huge family component as well. Um, you know, how, how rare is it for someone who is like, you know, well-raised in a stable, loving family to go on and do anything mm -hmm. like this, right? It's extremely, extremely rare. And this is not to say that, you know, most people who aren't raised in that environment go on and do that, but you know, it's, um, it also begs a question, which yeah. I don't have the answer to. Okay. Should the parents be held accountable for certain actions of their kids? This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They've partnered with blockchain.com to create NFT domain names ending in .blockchain. It's the perfect ending to show that you're a believer in a decentralized future. The blockchain.com community can join a short waitlist to get one for free at blockchain.com slash waitlist slash blockchain domain. Free NFT domains provide all the benefits of premium unstoppable domains, including fee-free lifelong ownership. If you don't have a blockchain.com wallet, no worries. There's new free domains available to everyone. Either join the waitlist for a free blockchain.com domain or visit unstoppabledomains.com to buy your domain today, starting as low as $5. Unstoppabledomains.com. This episode is brought to you by Alto IRA. They can help you invest in Bitcoin and crypto in a tax advantage way. That helps you preserve your hard-earned money. Alto's Crypto IRA lets you invest in Bitcoin and over 200 other different coins and tokens, and it has all the same tax advantages of your traditional IRA. There's no setup or account fees, and it's all you need to do, invest in crypto tax-free. Let me repeat that again. You can invest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies tax-free. So are you ready to take your investments to the next level? Diversify like the pros and trade without tax headaches. Open an Alto Crypto IRA to invest in Bitcoin and crypto tax-free. Go to altoira.com slash pomp. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A dot com slash pomp. Start investing today. So for example, mm. if your kid uh, is 10 years old, goes to the store uh, and you're with them and they steal something. Yes. They may yell at the kid or whatever. They don't take the kid to jail, right? At least in, in the United States. But they yell at the parents too. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, what, what's going on here? You know, whatever. Uh, okay, that's like, I don't know, petty theft, if you even want to characterize that as a 10-year-old taking a candy bar sure. or something. If your kid goes on a, and does a school shooting, mm. okay, like that's a whole different ball game. And there's a bunch of stuff in between. But right now, there's this complex question of the parents – you, you don't control the kid, yeah. right? Especially the kids over 18 and, and all these things. But also, how do you create a system that incentivizes good parenting? Mm -hmm. 
Right. And so like, maybe it's incentives. It's not punishments. Maybe it's punishments and end incentives. Mm. I, I don't know what the answer is, but no. it just feels like a really important question that we have to ask ourselves is like, how do we incentivize better parenting mm-hmm. so that maybe we could divert, even if it was 10% of the bad stuff. Yes. That'd be a win. Yeah. And, and you know, I th- I'm not a parent yet, but it's really hit me over the last few years that there is no, I think the importance of parenting is vastly underestimated and underappreciated, mm-hmm. both in the positive and the negative. Okay. Because if you really think about like how stuff ripples out and resonates out, I mean, it's insane. So the person I am and my four siblings is, yeah, some of it is just, you know, your genetics and your personality, but a lot of like how we were raised. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by me being raised in a certain way and being put on a certain path and instilled with certain morals, I then have, how many people do I impact Mm -hmm. on a daily, monthly, annual basis? I reach millions of people, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and those people then also reach thousands or millions. So the way both the positivity and the negativity ripples out into wider society cannot be understated. If you raise a, a terror of a child, if you raise a demon child, right, that's not just bad for them and bad for the family. That's bad for society. That's bad for your wider community. That's bad for your country because they go on and they hurt people and they're leaving in their wake this path of destruction, which is now impacting all these other people. And then oftentimes it becomes a generational thing and that's passed on. You know, you can pass down the goodness or you can pass on the nightmare, um, and yeah, sure, that that cycle can be broken in both ways. So I think it's actually understated and underappreciated just how important uh, parents are and, and families are, because that's really the foundation for a, an individual's whole life. And then, like I said, yeah, that individual impacts others. And I think this is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable for people to discuss this. Like this is a conversation that's considered very unpolitically correct, mm-hmm. right? Even if you tell people that like, it's better for a child to have a mother and a father. People are like, oh, right? People want to immediately want to object to that now. Like not long ago, in most parts of the world, that's a completely, not, not even a slightly controversial statement. It's like, duh, obviously, right? And here it's, it's contentious and it's, and you know, sure, if someone's like, oh, well, you know, well, I was raised by a single mom and I'm, I'm like, bro, like no one is attacking you. So it's, people deem everything as an attack. Everyone mm-hmm. personalizes everything, right? But so they if also you say something. It, it, mm. When you say it's better for the child, mm-hmm. it immediately jumps to uh, don't attack single moms or single exactly. fathers or whatever. But it's like no, no, no. if you're optimized, if the sole optimization is what is the best thing for yeah. a child, let's have that conversation. By the way, like yes. you can disagree, you can have other facts, you like whatever. Yeah. But it's like stay uh, focused on what are we optimizing for in mm-hmm. this specific conversation versus try to twist it around. Exactly. And do you know another thing that's plaguing the West what? is this obsession with ex- exceptions. Oh, interesting. Right? People trying to base everything on exceptions rather than the general rule. Mm-hmm. Okay? So everyone, everyone's – we're focusing on exceptions to the detriment of the norm and the majority. Mm-hmm. Right? So with any particular issue, someone will want to say, oh, well, you know, what about this or what about that? And it's like, dude, can we talk about like the 90% – Mm-hmm. scenario or the 98% scenario rather than obsessing over these um, exceptions and basing the rules and the standards and the norms around exceptions rather than around norms. In anything, you're going to have exceptions, right? If I say, you know, oh, people have uh, five, you know, five fingers on each hand. Someone's like, oh, well, you know, my my auntie has, has six fingers on her. 
or you know, oh well, what about? So people? let's make all the gloves right, with right? six or, fingers. Uh, yeah, or, oh, that's that's <laughs> insensitive. You know, I, I lost my left left hand in a, in a in a in an accident. I'm, I'm like, dude, I'm not. Yes, I recognize there are people who do not have ten fingers. There's people mm-hmm. with more. There's people with fewer. That does not change the general fact yeah. that people have ten fingers. You know, so yes, there are children who can be raised in all sorts of. You know, there's children who can be raised in what looks like an idyllic, perfect environment and they go on and, you know, they're they're screw ups. And there can be people who are raised in very, very bad situations and so on. And they go on and achieve great things. Yes, we we know there are billions of humans. There's so much variety and variation. But objectively, all other things being equal, even by a simple factor of two being more than one, it is better for a child to have two parents we know this that's not a controversial statement right mm-hmm. and yes there can and there can be out of, and you have to you have to acknowledge exceptions right there are people who are who are widows right someone dies or this happens or that happens right not everything works out perfectly but just because not everything works out perfectly doesn't mean you blow up and disintegrate the standard mm-hmm. right and this is what i'm seeing i'm seeing all the standards being disintegrated right in the name of making people feel comfortable or feel more accommodated and so on and so forth. And in this avoidance of avoiding hurting anyone's feelings in any type of way, we've essentially in the West prioritized people's feelings over objective reality, even when that's extremely detrimental. You want to see another great example of this? Look at this whole fat acceptance, body positivity thing, right? it, It literally is wild. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild, right? You, obesity is being promoted and this is the biggest killer of people. Mm-hmm. This is a problem that, again, it, it didn't really used to be a big problem. You could go back less than 100 years ago, mm-hmm. and obesity was very rare. Mm-hmm. Obesity was very rare. And just in a century, in one person's lifetime, you, we've got into a stage where the majority of adults in this country are overweight or obese. The majority, right? Childhood obesity did not used to exist. Mm-hmm. Right? You look at fat kids from like the 70s or the 80s, and it's like, oh, he's only like slightly chubby. Now it's like a fat kid weighs more than I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And it and it's getting worse. And it got worse over the last couple of years, despite the fact that 80 percent of the people hospitalized with the Rona, overweight or obese, um, you can't talk about that. And it's like, dude, do you care? Do, do we care about like not offending anybody or do we care about actually trying to help people? I've always thought uh, for a long time now, uh, normalizing offending people. Mm-hmm. And just like we are not going to be held captive by uh, trying to tiptoe around offending people. You can't do it. It's just, listen, uh, again, objectively, if you are unhealthy, it is bad for you. Mm -hmm. There will be people who hear you and I say that. And they will be like, these guys are assholes. Yeah. Oh, but what, but what about someone who had a car crash and has a thyroid issue? And so they got, got, (sighs) it's the exception. And I'm just like, dude. I recognize most people who are obese are not obese because they have some some hereditary thyroid issue or because they got disabled in a car accident and they st- it's because they eat too much and they don't move enough. Yeah. But I also think there's a uh exception issue. Mm-hmm. There's also what I'll call like a, a reverse extreme issue. So mm-hmm. when you say people should be healthy, immediately <laughs> Americans are idiots. So like everyone, you expect everyone to have a six pack, be able to squat yeah. 400 pounds <laughs> yeah. and they only can eat like a rabbit <laughs> lettuce. You are an asshole, yeah. right? And you're just like, no, dude, we're talking about like, can you go outside and walk down the street without losing your breath? Yes. 
right? Like, like that's the baseline to start. Yes. And then it, it's even like you, you start thinking about, uh, I, I do think a lot about like, if you just say healthy mm. rather than like people should work out for mm. whatever reason, like we're all stupid, you know, uh, uh, idiot animals. And we're like, Oh, healthy sounds like, healthy sounds good. like that's a nice rapper. Well, that's acceptable. Mm. Work out. You shouldn't be able to tell me to work out. What do you, who are you to tell me that I need to be a certain size to fit in pants mm -hmm. or this or, or like, no dude, just be healthy. Like literally yeah. just whatever that means for you. Mm -hmm. By the way, some people feel healthy because they uh, run on a treadmill or ride a stationary bike or uh, do like cardio stuff. Mm -hmm. Other people feel healthy when they go and they lift weights. Some people, I don't know. There's a lot of fucking people in suburban America who, if you go around about I don't know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, what do you see? Walking. A bunch of people walking, and yeah. some of them even have some weights in their hand, yeah. right? Like, that's how they feel healthy. Great. Who cares what they're doing? It's just like that direction is way better yeah. than us being like, you know what? 400 pounds. Let's put the uh, mannequin out there. Mm. And uh, – that 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 that's is the, that's uh, the new standard. Yeah, that, that that's like a, a good thing. Look, yeah, look at us. We're yeah, promoting that, this. That's yeah. That's that's the worst part of it. It's when they do the you know healthy at any size. You can be obese and no, you cannot be obese and healthy, right? You cannot be healthy at any size. That is a lie. If you are six hundred pounds, you are not healthy. Period. Right? You cannot be healthy at any size. It's a complete lie. And something I've noticed about this is doctors never say that. By the way, <laughs> and something that's interesting about this is uh, have you noticed it's only targeted at women? Only. There's no body positivity, fat acceptance movement for men. The, so I, I may disagree on that. Okay. And, and the only disagreement I would say is the whole like dad, dad bod. bod. It didn't work though. But but <laughs> but when I go to like a department store, which unfortunately you will not see me in very often, uh, but uh, I was recently in New York and uh, they had a bunch of the women mannequins that, mm. you know, whatever. Uh, and I don't think I saw any of the men ones, but no. I've seen pictures on the internet. Mm of the like dad bod with like you yeah. know, the collared shirt or, but or whatever. Have you, have, you, have you ever seen that on the cover of a, of a men's yeah. magazine, a fitness Never. magazine? No, Never. right? But you'll see, you'll see fat women mm -hmm. on the cover. You know, it's, um, so this is how you know this stuff is very engineered. Mm -hmm. It's very engineered. It's not, it's not organic. And people call it compassion. I don't think it's compassion. I think it's cruel. Straight up. I, I think, I, I don't think it's compassionate at all. I think that, Man. Well, you're lying to people. That, you're lying, that, yes. This is the part that I think, uh, it's, it, it's kind of like feedback in business. Mm. There's a lot of times uh, business leaders, and, and this is pretty well documented, right? Business leaders will be super nice to folks and the companies never work. Okay. Because what happens is like the truth is never said. Yes. So if you keep going to work every day and you're never told, hey, you're slacking on something, we need mm. you to improve, you never improve, right? And if you never improve, the business doesn't improve and then therefore it's much harder to be successful. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you have to go be an asshole. Exactly. And somebody's got to yell and scream at you and call you an idiot and like it, do all this it, stuff. It's, 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 how did you describe it before? It's the reverse the, extreme. Yeah, that, that's, that's literally what it is. You say one thing, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I, I like apples. And it's like, oh, you hate bananas? <laughs> I'm just like, dude. Like, <laughs> Banana hater! Or, <laughs> you know, like, you forgot to mention, what about pineapples? What about, I was like, it's like, dude, like. You Canceled. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing, you know, and it's it, it's it's just a problem because again, you can't fix things. Are, there are certain things that are getting worse. The obesity problem is getting worse. Did you see the Adele? It's getting worse. Story. Oh, and people hating on her for losing weight. She lost weight, and yeah. all I saw uh, two tweets about it. And I, was like, mm -hmm. I, I just got to keep scrolling because I'm a uh, fucking. But is don't, don't, come out don't of my you ears. think it's interesting? Not to I don't even want to make this like a gendered conversation, but don't you think it's interesting how that's like. 
like man, that's not a male thing at all. Jonah Hill, remember you, uh, yeah. the actor? Yeah. He lost a bunch of weight, and uh, it was treated very differently. Of course. Right? And there's just two anecdotes, so yeah. like, whatever. Yeah, but but it's real. I've, by the way, I've observed this my whole life, not just on social media, mm-hmm. but there is a difference in this regard, right? I mean, even if, right, what's the criticism of, what's the criticism of, of Barbie dolls, right? That oh, unrealistic body standards and this and that, or, you know, someone, there was that in the UK, there was this company called, I think they were called Protein World, and they had this ad which said, you know, are you beach body ready? And it had this fit woman, fit woman in a bikini, and it became this like huge outrage thing, after. right? They went after them so hard and whatever. By the way, they had a male one as well, and no one cared about, you know, the are you beach body ready with the male body, but this one's misogynistic and this and unrealistic expectations. Like, bro, have you seen, have you seen what action figures look like? <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever seen Superman or Batman or Wolverine or Psycho with their freaking pecs and their in their sixteen pack and they're like we're, we're just sh- dude. Can you imagine Superman with a dad? <laughs> no, but, but but the point is, no one ever said, "Oh, this is setting an unrealistic and harmful expectation for young boys," and it's gonna. So there's something like really interesting going on there, right? Is it like, because women uh, have? through society's kind of reinforcement, more of a focus on appearance. Uh, th- their appearance. And I say this as somebody who, uh, I've got a nine month old daughter and I think about mm. even just if you walk into a toy store, right? If you walk into certain things, like you walk down the street, the way that people say things, sure, it's like, oh, she's so pretty. Yeah. And like, I, I don't have the experience of having a son. So I don't know, would people be like, oh, he's so handsome? Maybe, mm-hmm. but like, for whatever reason, I'm like, no, she's fucking a genius. Sure. <laughs> right? Sure. Like, and so it's like a weird thing. Do you think it, that plays it, into it? Absolutely. I think it absolutely plays into it. I, I think it would be, I think it's clear and obvious that across societies and cultures that women are valued more on appearance than men are. Women are judged. The, the way men and women are judged is different. And the way men judge women and the way women judge men is is different. Right? Um, I was saying actually to someone the, the other day that, uh, You'll, you'll often hear feminists in particular, but other people often say, you know, that me, there, there's men who look at women like sex objects. Mm-hmm. Um, there are men who do that, sure. Um, there are also, one could argue that society and women view men as success objects, mm-hmm. right? Um, if a man, the, the way men and women view and sort of rate and rank each other is is just different, right? It's just different. If you are a high-powered, successful man in your career and you're accomplished in this and that, that weighs differently to a woman with the same achievements, right? Mm-hmm. Guys will be like, yeah, but is she hot? You know? Uh, that's why um, I'm surprised they've never gone after the dating apps. What's that? I'm surprised that, that like the mob has never uh-huh. gone after the dating apps <laughs> where literally uh, judgments on humans are being made by the photo that you're shown and you're mm-hmm. swiping left or right in like the most uh, uh, impersonal way possible. Mm-hmm. But the initial impression, which, by the way, is exactly mm-hmm. what happens in real life, too, yes. is based on looks. It does. And I've always been shocked that they're not like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, you know th- these conversations are interesting because the truth is biology always exists. You know, so we, we can talk about like this and this. And ma- there's many things in the world where maybe we think it's sort of it feels unfair or it feels like a double standard. Oh, how come it's like this? Or, you know, it should be like that. It should be. And within reason, you can make certain accommodations, right? You can certainly treat people fairly, 
right? This is generally how I operate across the board. And what I strive to do is simply treat people fairly, treat everybody decently. Equal, equal is a weird word because equal is equal. Human beings are, we're equal, but we're not right in a, in a spiritual sense, like in a, in a religious sense, in a worth of your life and how the laws should apply to you and so on. I believe human beings are equal. I believe human beings are created in the image of God, right? We're, we're all equal in the literal sense. We're not equal at all in any way. We're all very, we're, we're very different. We're the most diverse species that's out there, right? We're not equally tall. We have different body weights. We look completely different. We have different eye colors. Some people are attractive. Some people are less attractive. Some people are highly athletic. Some people are very intelligent. Some people are dumb. Some people are, right? Like we're, we're, we're not, we're not equal at all in, in that sense. And also when it comes to say conversations about men and women, Men and women are equal in a sense, right? In terms of your worth, in terms of your, your value and so on. But we're fundamentally, like as groups, we are, we are different. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's not a problem, right? There's people who problematize that, right? They almost want this like homogenous, genderless, weird society where it's weird because at the same time, these people will be like diversity, diversity, diversity. And then at the same time, they kind of want everyone to just be the same, just to be these like genderless blobs who... There's no difference between the males and the females and everyone, maybe those categories don't even exist. And everyone's just, you know, everyone even earns the same amount of money and everyone does the same. And it's like, dude, that sucks. Like that's, and it's just not real. It's not realistic. Mm-hmm. It's silly to have a, a goal. Number one, that's not even a good goal, but it's unachievable. It's like, why would you want to achieve that? And you're also not going to You you see this in many things where people are even trying to force like certain things to be 50, 50 in terms of gender, right? Oh, we want, you know, it should be 50, 50. Number one is funny because people only want that in certain jobs and sectors, right? I've never seen anyone advocating that 50% of uh, construction workers or garbage disposal people or crab fishers or lumberjacks should be female. Um, it's only like cushy executive jobs and whatever. Um, but it's also like, why? Like, what problem are you trying to fix? Why is it an issue that most primary school teachers are female? That's not an issue to me. Men should be allowed to be primary school teachers and they shouldn't be discriminated against. Like if you're treating, again, it comes back to fairness. If you're treating people unfairly, that's a problem. If you're unfairly discriminating against people, that's a problem. Everyone should have the opportunity to do what they want. But understanding basic human nature and basic biology, you recognize that you're not going to get like this perfect magical split on everything because men and women, lo and behold, have different interests. You're in the Bitcoin and crypto space. Probably what? Eight men to one woman? Not because women women are not allowed in Bitcoin or crypto. Like it's the most open, it's literally like the most open thing available, but there's just more, it's more of a masculine tendency to be interested in that kind of stuff, right? I'm a rapper. What percentage of rappers are male? It's a very male dominated, not women are allowed to rap. There's just more men who are into it. And you can find that on the inverse. There's plenty of things that are female dominated and so on. And it's just like, Cool. That's fine. As long as people are not being unfairly discriminated against and there's equality of opportunity at the point of entry, then I don't have a problem with it. Let the chips fall where they do. And then people do it with like race and so on. And again, they're very selective with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Imagine how crazy it would sound if someone came and said that like the NBA and the NFL are racist against non-black people. Right. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, black men are seven percent of the population and they're over 70 percent of the NBA. This is clearly like, where, where are all the, where are the Jews? Where are the Asians? Where are the, it's like, Diobo, just 
like it's a it's a meritocracy. Like everyone's allowed to play basketball. Well, it's, it's also just that this uh, is how the NBA they discriminate mm-hmm. against short people. Yeah, <laughs> how can we forget? Right, right? like how, how like can, that's that's unfair. Yeah, right. I'm not six five. That's <laughs> fucked up. I'd have been Michael Jordan. Y'all be talking about Anthony Pompliano if, I, if y'all let me in there, right? But like it's like yeah, no shit. Though. Yeah, it, it's you know it, it's it's really funny how people do it because when you bring up those type of examples, people see how silly it is, but yes. then they'll run off and they'll do that in a whole other sector. And I'm like, wait, why would why would you expect everything everywhere to perfectly represent? the population demographics. That's just not how it works. I also think there's a, a, a weird thing of um, when people try to do the right thing. Look, look, there's people who definitely are uh, not good actors or mm-hmm. not kind of uh, well-intentioned, right? So put those people aside for a yeah. second. People who say like, um, let's use a computer science okay. uh, uh, as a sector. There's a lot of folks who say, hey, there's not uh, as many women or uh, minorities in that sector. Mm-hmm. Now put aside for a second whether people want to debate that or not or whatever, just hold that as as a truth yeah in most cases what would make sense is cool let's go do things to incentivize more of those people to do it yes sometimes it's like an exposure thing mm-hmm. if you live in an area where no one's ever told you that's even a possibility then like you don't know how many kids end up going through a high school and their high school had some program they get exposed to something and that ends up being their career and if they'd gone to the high school across town that didn't have that program, they would have never even been exposed to that thing and whatever. So like, okay, cool. Like you can do all these things that help build up one group or one effort without tearing down the others. Yes. And it works in reverse as well, right? Where uh, people say like, um, you know, the NBA, it'd be like saying, okay, we only can have 50% of a certain type of person, whether mm-hmm. it's race, height, whatever. So like, well, why don't you just try to go get more people to try out yeah. that, you know, fit some other criteria. And I actually think that if just that was the focus, cool, you identified something that you want to change, like go work to change it in a positive way, but you're not allowed to tear down other things. Yes. Society would be like way chiller. Yeah. And people would be like, you know what? Like, I actually like that effort. I think that that's great. It's when it becomes like a zero sum game. That's where you get all the politicalization of it. That's where you get the debates. That's where you get all the fucking sensitivities. Like, mm-hmm. And then it just spirals out of control. Microaggressions. Yeah, because now, now if, it's zero, if it's zero sum, yep. well, we're playing a zero sum game. We've mm. both agreed we're playing a zero sum game. I'm not losing, yeah. which means you have to lose. Yep. If it's positive sum, then it's much more working together. Man, I have so many things I could say on this, dude. We got a lot, long okay, time. Good. Go ahead. Well, first, first <laughs> of all, this, this zero sum mindset thing is a real plague. Mm-hmm. It's a big problem. Um, people need to understand that life is not a zero sum game. Money is not a zero-sum game. Health and fitness is not a zero-sum game. Uh, Relationships and dating or whatever, these things are not zero-sum. And one of the amazing things about the world, one of the coolest things with all the diversity we have in humanity is there are millions of games to play. And you only need to be really good at one to be successful, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, just look at jobs and career. Like, how many different ways are there to make money? Right. So, oh, you oh, you can't make it in the NBA. You're not six foot six and amazing at basketball. Do you know what? There's another million things that you can you can create in this day and age. You could even create your own thing. Like, look at what we both do for a living like this. We probably struggle to explain this to like our great grandparents be like, wait, you do what for a living? That's not a job. Like, what do you what do you mean? Well, you have a podcast. You sit and you talk to people like, wait, you you do none of it. None of it. No level of it makes any sense. And it's just like 
that's awesome. So you don't need to, if you're not competitive in a particular field or you're just not interested in it, it's like, cool. Like you can just get in where you fit in, man. Like we all have a different pool of talents. We all have different experiences and interests and personalities. And that's dope because if we didn't, if we didn't, the world, firstly, the world wouldn't even work because the way everything works with free trade is we all have different services and products that we can offer that other people find value. And we're, and we're all constantly exchanging. That's literally what the economy is. Mm -hmm. People have been brainwashed to think the economy is like some stock ticker or something. And this is the point I was making back in 2020 when they were locking down and shutting down. And I was like, yo, you're crushing the economy. People are like, you care more about the economy than human. I'm like, bro, human lives rely on the economy and human lives are, we are the economy, right? Like our ability to interact and trade and do all like this is, this is what gives everything everything value and also gives us meaning and purpose. It's not the stock price when you say the economy. No. It's literally <laughs> the corner store isn't fucking open and I need food. Yes. And if I can't get food, you got 72 hours where people are going to start doing fucked up shit. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, and sure, they didn't shut down the grocery stores, but they shut down a hell of a lot of businesses. Yeah, and, and, that, and that was the thing with it. So people need to get out of this zero-sum mindset thing. This is also where the whole, like, eat the rich thing comes from, right? People think that by, oh, their neighbor made money or that person has money. So therefore they must have jacked, they must have stolen it from everyone else. The reason why there are poor people is because there are rich people. There's people who believe that. There's hundreds of millions of people who believe that, that poor people are just there because there are rich people. And it's the rich people being selfish and it's just them being greedy. And that's why, you know, there's this limited pool of money and they're just hoarding it. So those people there can't get some. And I mean, people have believed this for centuries. It's what so much of like Marxist thought and what it's all this zero sum mentality thinking. So people need to get out of that mindset and everything. Cause it's number one, it's literally not correct. And then number two is it just makes people very resentful and it creates more animosity and more division and so on. And it stops people from taking that personal responsibility and bettering themselves. Coming back to a, a different point that you were making before. I'm, I'm so glad you, you talked about this, um, encouraging people to know about and have access to certain opportunities because I experienced this myself in a very interesting way when I was in university. So um, I studied computer science at Oxford. When I was at Oxford- Canceled. <laughs> <laughs> For going to Oxford, man, are you from Cambridge or something? Um, <laughs> you're educated? You, you're, oh, you have an unfair advantage. Do, do, do you know what people at Oxford and Cambridge call the other university? No, the other place. Oh, Jesus Christ. So people from Cambridge call Oxford the other place. People from Oxford <laughs> call Cambridge the other place. There's a little, there's a little, uh, little rivalry there. Um, but yeah, when, when I was in university, it was really interesting. So in my first year there, so in the whole university of, I think, I think Oxford at the time, I want to say has around, I want to say 12, 12 to 15,000 undergraduate students. Okay. Um, Oxford got put in the spotlight because out of that, say, 15,000 undergraduate students, do you know how many black people they had? Actually, I have a guess. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. They're the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. Trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than the top competitors. There are no fixed minimums, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. 
This episode is brought to you by Valor, which represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified trusted access in crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols, all through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They currently are listed in the U.S. under the DEFTF stock ticker and on the Canadian NEO exchange under DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. I'm going to underguess now 250. 55. Wow. 55 out of over 10,000. Wow. And so there were all, there were newspaper articles and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oxford is racist. Obviously. Uh, clearly, Obviously. this institutional racism, and there was all this talk, you know, because that's how people look at things. They just see a disparity and their brain immediately jumps to some type of bigotry, discrimination, racism, sexism, whatever it is, right? They don't think. And my immediate thought was, oh, wow, that's low. How many applied? Mm -hmm. And then if you look at it, it was like, oh, okay, like not that many people how that many black people like even applied? And um, when I was there, I was part of something called the Oxford Access Scheme, which was to uh, do exactly what you were saying. So bring in school students mm -hmm. from certain backgrounds, more like it wasn't really it wasn't like a racial thing per se, but more like uh, certain inner cities and state schools and so on, places where most. So Oxford and Cambridge in the UK are obviously viewed as these very elite mm -hmm. establishments. They're kind of viewed as things that there, there are many people in schools or certain sectors of life who don't even think that they or their children or whatever can ever go to Oxford or Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not even on their radar, right? Like if you go to, if you go to like a private boarding school or, you know, you're in, from Eden or how, like there's a whole tradition of people going to Oxford and Cambridge, right? Mm -hmm. But from certain schools, it's like no one from that school has ever gone to Oxford or Cambridge. Like even the teachers are the, it's, it's not even on the radar. The, the students don't believe the they kid can is go. guided in a different direction if yeah. that's even an aspiration. Yeah. So so this scheme was just to, you know, show people and encourage academically gifted students, regardless of whether they were from a, a private school or a state school or whatever, um, to consider higher education, number one. Mm -hmm. And if they have the academic chops, potentially Oxford or Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the right type of approach. So if someone does think, oh, okay, there's, you know, like there's, okay, there's a, there's a real disparity here, like very, very clear, like some, maybe something's going on there, then that's the way to handle it. The, hand, the way to handle it isn't to reduce the bar or to create a quota system where you start bean counting how many people of, we need this many people of this gender and this many people of uh, these race, racial and ethnic groups and so on. Because once you do that, you're, you, the only way you can achieve it through that method is active discrimination, right? So if you're going to create a quota, like you said, like you, you joked about with the NBA, if you said there's, okay, there's a 50% hard cap on, you know. People over six foot. <laughs> yeah, right? then, then now you have to discriminate against people yeah. in order to so-called balance it out. And again, what it, you're, you're, you're now creating the problem, right? Because if your claim is that the problem is unfair treatment and unfair discrimination and your idea to remedy that, remedy that is unfair treatment and unfair discrimination, then it's like, well, 
you, you've just created a problem. This isn't um, hypothetical, though. This no. is uh, here in the United States, Yale, yes. uh, which is you know the, probably a, equivalent uh, as these schools, um, was accused of and I believe was actually found uh, responsible. I don't want to say guilty because I don't know exactly how kind of it, it mm -hmm. played out, uh, but they had introduced uh, certain quotas and, and uh, criteria in the uh, academic application process. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that they actually ended up uh, having discriminated against Asian Asians, students. Yep. And so you like look at it and you're like, oh, there's some someone along the line was saying exactly what you're saying. And yep. they were like, well, I'm not just going to go say it, you know, and, and uh, just move on to the next topic. I'm going to mm -hmm. go bring it to the courts. And there was agreement like, yes, yeah. you, you cannot do this uh, or you should not do this, uh, which then begs the question of like, well, what about all the other schools that – yeah, doing. exactly. Yeah, there was a big scandal with it with Harvard as well, discriminating potentially against Asian students. And that's um, – it's it's so odd. And it's also, it's also bigoted in multiple directions. This is the thing, right? So I'll tell you one thing that I would – I'll tell you something I would hate. Okay. And I never say this, but as a black man, I never, I never start a sentence with that, right? But – I would hate to think or feel that I am in my position or I achieved something simply because I'm like a diverse, I was a diversity hire, like that I got into Oxford because they just needed more black students, not because I'm smart enough mm -hmm. or I did well enough in my exams, but just because they, they lowered the bar for me because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the hard bigotry of low expectations. Mm -hmm. So the thing should never be, oh, let's reduce the standard. It's like, cool, like let's try to get, we can try to get more people from whatever community, whatever demographic over this bar or encourage people to apply or whatever it is. But I think at that point of application, whether it's a university position, it's a job, whatever, you've got to run with the meritocracy. Yeah. Because otherwise you are, you're creating really bad conditions. And I think, I think it's bad for everyone. I think it sucks for, I mean, an Asian student who has worked hard, who is an individual, like Asians are not a group, like these are individual human beings. Mm -hmm. A kid who's worked really hard in school and done well in his exams, and you're gonna make it harder for him to go to a university because he's of Asian, his because his, his parents are from Korea or from China or something. Mm -hmm. That is insane, that's that's racism. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's crazy. Also, oh, there's a kid who's, uh, oh, his parents are Latino or black or, and oh, we're, oh, He's might not be as smart as the Asian or the white kid. So let, let's lower the bar. Like, what? Are you insane? Like, it's it's so backwards to me. And that's why I think it's hilarious how it's called progressivism, because like so much stuff that they do is backwards. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I have a real problem with that. And I think it creates so much resentment. It's the same thing. I, I hate, hate the concept of white privilege. Explain. Hate it. Why? Because it's racist. And it's bullcrap. It's not real, right? Like, it, it, it's it's bad for everybody. I don't see how, I I, I we we were raised in like a a, a normal time, right? Like, it, during, it, it honestly during, feels like that. Yeah, like like during the '90s, we were just like, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, but I was like, yo, I, I had extremely diverse classes. What I was like, just whatever. Like, people are people. Treat people as individuals. None of my friends are I ever like focused on like what skin color people are. Oh, your parents are from this country or that or whatever. We were all just there and it was all cool. Everything was fine. And I think that's how like most of us in our generation were raised. But people are going back to this sort of like racial essentialism where you're no longer looking at people as individuals, but everyone is being made 
extraordinarily conscious of what group that they fit into. And then not just that, but you are then assigning whether virtues or sins to entire groups, Mm -hmm. right? So you're telling a young white kid that he is somehow privileged or he's an oppressor or he should have some type of guilt, some permanent, some type of permanent guilt, something he's never done because centuries ago, someone who shared his melanin content did some, like on multiple levels, it's just insane. And then you're telling, oh, you're telling the black kid now that, okay, well, society as a whole, all the institutions, the whole system, everything is set up against you, right? You're going to have to work five times as hard as your white friends in order. What? The police, by the way, oh, also like you need to stay away from the police because they're all racist and they're probably going to like shoot you. What? Oh, and by the way, you should like feel some type of way about you're just creating resentment on all these levels. Now those kids are going to school and they're looking at each other, not like, oh, this is my friend Johnny. This is my friend Billy. It's like, oh, well, I'm in this position. I, I have this color. He has that color. And so um, I should be treated this way or I can't say this or we should. It, I don't like I don't like any of it. it it's almost the, again, reverse extreme. Of, yes. Uh, Skin color doesn't matter. To now, it's skin color is everything. Skin color is everything. Right? Yeah. Is it, that kind of it's, it's, is, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a regression, right? Because that used to be the problem. Go back to 1850, right? In the 1850 USA, I was like, oh, skin color is everything. Like we should judge people based on this. You know, black people are this, and white people are this, and so therefore this, and therefore that. And it was like, bro, okay, we all acknowledge that was a huge problem. And then it's like, okay, cool. We we generally fixed it. Got to a place where you know, 90 percent of plus people. I mean. And now you want to reintroduce it again in the name of, you know, wokeness or progressivism. And you now want people again to start to view. I've heard, you know, these so-called progressive people saying that, you know, it's bad to be colorblind. Right. Or no, we must see race. We need to see it. We need to talk about it. We need to acknowledge it in every conversation. Right. One of these wokies will come into this conversation and they'll they'd insert it into this conversation. They'd be there like trying to analyze the power dynamic between us two and be like, oh, well, you know, he's in this category and he's in this. Well, this is the uh, women's British (laughs) (laughs) deadlifting champion. I want to be careful. (laughs) And it's also all the assumptions that come with it as well, right? Like it's operating off such a low resolution worldview, right? These people have this worldview that like every white person is like quaffing champagne on their yacht and has like generations and generations of inherited wealth and what like they completely like ignore the like the the vast majority of white people who kind of don't fit the fit the bill and they also have this idea of like oh like every black person or every minority person is like from I've had, bro I've had arguments with people about whether or not I'm oppressed <laughs> people try, I've had people trying to convince me I've had people trying to convince me I'm oppressed and I'm like, what are you talking about? That's so that's so nice of them, right? I'm like, it, I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like, because they'll be because they have all their like academic theories and whatever. And I'm like, bro, my dad is a doctor. Like, I've never wanted for. I'm, I'm like, I am privileged, right? I went to freaking Oxford. I went to boarding school. Like, I'm from a great family. My parents have been married for like forty something years. Um, I'm healthy. I was born in the UK, da, da, da. like I've got so many, like, they're like, oh, but you know, still like you're somehow, I'm somehow still a victim apparently of systemic 
Did and I'm see, just like, bro, stop. Did you see the viral tweet? Uh, uh, the guy was joking, okay. but uh, he was like, uh, recently visited like a Portland coffee shop, and uh, uh, they're really taking this seriously. They have uh, created an area, uh, no whites allowed, oh my gosh. or whatever, dude. And, and, and he basically, and he basically <sighs> was like describing segregation, yes. but like doing what, it from the like the world uh, perspective. <laughs> yeah, from the world yeah. perspective. You know, some universities have that now. Oh, oh, there are real places. Like yeah, this. there's universities that have that now that have um, spaces for people of color. Um, or what do, what do they they have different terms for them? But, yeah, they've brought back actual segregation. Yeah, I right? saw a video also. Uh, I think it was like a maybe a library or something. Mm. Um, and of course, it's on a college campus. Uh, and there was a guy who's like sitting at his computer and uh, um Somebody's yelling at another one, saying that they were feeling uh, unsafe. They yeah. were feeling unsafe because he was uh, in their presence. Mm -hmm. And like again, you see these videos, and you're just like, literally, the guy two minutes ago could have been yelling and screaming and threatening people and like doing all this stuff, and then all of a mm -hmm. sudden you just see like this calm scene. But if you just take it at face value and say like, okay, there's no uh, outlier, yeah. there's no you know exception to the rule. It's just like some guy sitting there. Whenever. I know the one you mean. He had the blue live sticker on his um, blue, blue lives matter sticker on his laptop. It was the two, the two yes. white guys. Yes. And then there's the girls and they're there like, and they're just going just off on, going off and, on and, this. And, and yeah. I always just think of these situations and I'm like, is this because humans are bored? And, and I'll mm -hmm. give you a uh, uh, context. This. So I've been reading a book and it describes in one section, uh, 1870 to 1970. And it basically makes the argument like there was so much human progress that happened in that time period because of technology inventions of the automobile, electricity, all this stuff. Uh, the elevator created urban density. The automobile created horizontal speed. So we now can move things faster. We had the steam engine. We started going through all that, the industrial revolution, like all these things were happening and it was just an explosion. Mm. But in order to describe how great that time period was, they have to explain to you what life was in the you know 1870s and before. Mm -hmm. And basically, the takeaway is like that shit was hard, horrible. Yeah. And some of the key details are men worked till they died. Yep. There was no retirement. There's no social security. There's no anything. Like literally, you worked because the day you stopped working, your family stopped eating. Mm -hmm. And so they worked in the fields. All stuff. Seventy five percent of Americans uh, in 1870 were in rural areas. Over seventy percent of all workers worked in what were categorized as unpleasant jobs. Mm -hmm. Women inside of the household had immense responsibilities and physical labor in terms of carrying flour and water and all, all these different things. They had to sew their own clothes. They had to mm -hmm. do all this stuff. And the homes were all unconnected. They called unnetworked, meaning that they had no gas, electricity, you know, running water, like any of this stuff. That is a hard life that we are very fortunate today we don't have to do that stuff. There's technology that does a bunch mm -hmm. of this. Our homes are all connected. Like all these different things, the shift from unpleasant to pleasant jobs mm -hmm. is like basically a, a 180. All so you're stuff. saying they weren't debating about pronouns and misgender? No, they were out in the <laughs> fucking field with the mule trying to make sure that they had food for the winter. And, and so like you look at this and you're like, yo, we got it so good that people are bored. And like, you want to know how I know we're bored? Go check every person's cell phone and see the hours spent on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, mm -hmm. and YouTube. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you can be learning about educational stuff or you can be doom scrolling. Yes. And we all do both. But like if you spend an hour on your phone basically just rotting your brain, yeah. you got an easy life. Yes. Because anyone who has a hard life doesn't have that luxury. 
And so it's like, is this the end result of, of basically just being so, so free, so uh, good in life that we debate this shit? Yeah. We, yeah, we're living through an overcorrection of multiple sorts. Um, do you know why I talk about this stuff? Why? It's, it's because of what you, it's literally because of what you just said, because I recognize how good we have it and how freaking long it's taken for things to get here. And I'm like, guys, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. The conversation we were just having about, you know, um, racial harmony. Dude, look around the world. Look through history. People were freaking racist, man. Like, like it was horrible. People used to enslave each other, segregate, brutalize each other, call each other like just nasty stuff. People used to, people used to get lynched, bro. Like it was the KKK at its peak had over 4 million members. The KKK had members like in people in Congress, they had governors, they had like in the KKK, like the gov. imagine the governor of a state being in the KKK, like that used to be okay. Like not even a hundred years ago. And that is fucking wild. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> that is, I'm sorry, like that is just such a fucking insane that, statistic. That's what I mean. So when I hear people say like, oh, you know, racism is just as bad as it's always been. In fact, it's getting worse. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Like we can recognize things not being perfect and we can strive for better, right? We all have ways we want society to improve. But if you are going to discount the progress that's been made over the past century, two centuries, then it's going to lead you to this uh, area where you lack perspective and you lack gratitude. And when you lack perspective and you lack gratitude, as you, you, you problematize things, you create problems where they don't exist. And if you're not careful, you can make things worse. Mm -hmm. Right. So human nature, I don't believe, has fundamentally changed over those centuries. Right. What has changed? The two advantages that we have as people who are alive in 2022, the key two big advantages we have over our grandparents and great grandparents is, number one, we have better stuff. We have more technology. We have the Internet. We have the opportunity to, and the tools to just do cool stuff. Right. We have new tools and we have knowledge of the history. Mm -hmm. So. Rather than trying to reinvent the wheel all the time, we can look back and go, how do we know segregation is a bad idea? How do we know that racial segregation is a bad <laughs> idea, right? Oh, because we can look at apartheid. You can look at Jim Crow. You can look at how this has happened in different places. You can see what it led to. You can see, man, that was like a moral deficiency. It led to this problem. It led to that problem. It was, you know, and it was just wrong, right? You can look back. How do we know that slavery is wrong? Oh, because it was tried for thousands of years across different countries and yeah, like we, we, you don't even need to debate it. It's just like, okay, that was clearly wrong. But, and those are the only two advantages we have. Fundamentally, we have the same hardware, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains operate in the same way. Like we have the same bodies and the same organs. And so let's not be like, let's not be stupid with that technology and with that knowledge. Let's use it. Let's be like, oh, okay, like here are some things that we should repeat. These are great things we've inherited from our ancestors and this has worked really well for society and we should maybe keep those institutions going. I mean, a great example of this to me is like marriage, marriage and marriage in the family. It's like, okay, well, every country, every culture, all across society for these hundreds, thousands of years, they've all had this institution and brought children into the world primarily under this institution. And, it, and it's worked well for and places who tried something totally different. They're not round anymore, or they're very small or whatever, or it led to chaos. So that's probably a good idea. I mean, that's something we, sh we should keep. It doesn't mean everyone has to get married or whatever. It doesn't need to be enforced. But generally speaking, cool. Like that's a good institution. And then the stuff that's bad, 
okay, cool. Like we can, we can jettison that. Let's keep that. Let's get rid of that. And this to me is just where the proper balance between what people, what you could call conservatism, liberalism, and progressivism is, right? It's, it's, you conserve the things that are working well and lead to a positive functioning society and happiness. Um, you have liberalism, which in its proper sense allows, prioritizes the rights and freedoms of the individual. You can make your choices regardless of, you know, who you are and these categories you fit into, whatever you have, you have the free choice to live your life as you see fit. You have the right to speak. You have the right to practice or not practice a religion. You have the right to freedom of association, so on, right? You have your, your basic fundamental rights. And then what progressivism should mean is, okay, look, there are still some things that we need to improve. There are things, there are changes that we can make. Let's balance these things out and let's do this Let's do this carefully, right? Let's do this carefully. If you are driving a car and it's like, you know, if someone gets in a car and is asking me, is it better to accelerate or brake? I'm like, well, what, you, you know, is it best to turn left or right? It's like, well, yes. Right, you see what I mean, right? So this is the thing, right? So when people go to these kind of like radical ends of, of uh, say, what people call progressivism, yep. It's just change at all costs. Just just change everything. Just flip the whole thing on. It's just, no, get rid of that. Get rid. It's like, bro, but that thing works. Like, why'd you want to get rid of this stuff? It's like, no, just go. Just slam your foot on the accelerator. And it's like, dude, you're you're going to crash. There's a wall. Sim yeah. Similarly, if you just like hold down the brake, <laughs> right? Just hold the brake. No, you, we can't change anything. Like, no, we must conserve and preserve complete status quo. It's like, all right, well, you don't move anywhere. You don't go forward. So this is actually why, uh, you know, I think... Um, some people won't won't like me saying this, but this is the value of having dialogue between people of different socio-political perspectives and so on, right? Because there is value and intelligence in each one, and they all check each other, right? So the natural conservative tendency is hit the brake, right? The progressive tendency is hit the accelerator. So it's like actually, if you have a, a sensible dialogue and you bring people together, then we can have an honest and mature conversation. Yeah, people are going to people are going to disagree. It might get, you know, heated at times and so on. It's not going to you're never going to have like this perfect harmony because people are different, but I think you can have a good balance where society is slowly improving. I think that's generally what we what we have had. I think it's still what we do have. I think we're just in a like a messy very messy phase of it. And with the introdu introduction of smartphones and social media, it's made it all far, it's made it faster mm -hmm. and it's made it more chaotic because you now have access to billions of people's thoughts and opinions and ideas. Whereas before that was all just in people's heads and you couldn't see it and you couldn't, and, yeah. and then you've got the bot interference. And so, uh, Dude, the bot so problem. The, the bot problem is, it's nuts, especially I, on your I, account. I, I, I am going to nominate my account for the single worst Twitter account in terms of the bot problem. It's crazy. I, uh, I've thought, I haven't done it yet. Uh, uh, I did it one time, like kind of half-heartedly, but like I've thought every time that I tweet, I should just tag the CEO of Twitter so that his notifications mm. get as many of the bots as mine and the problem be fixed tomorrow. Like it's literally yeah, uh, hundreds, right? I went and I looked the other day uh, and I had blocked manually over a thousand accounts. Mm. And then I went and then they've been wiping them, right? So they're doing something. It's just, mm. they're not stopping the ones from actually getting posted. Uh, and then I blocked a bunch more and I was mm. back up over a thousand. And I was like, I've probably spent hours of my life 
fighting hand-to-hand combat on the internet <laughs> with some fucking bot farm outside the United States somewhere. And there's somebody who's just running a script and they're like, here you go, motherfucker. Yeah. Right? Like how quick can you report and block these people? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to try because <laughs> the product's unusable without it. It's annoying. Be- it's also annoying because it's so easy to fix. That's not, a, that's not a hard problem to fix. Anyone who has CZ Binance <laughs> in their fucking name and isn't the verified account, block them. <laughs> like, okay, I just solved 80% of the bot problem yeah. and literally I thought for 10 seconds about it, right? Mm. Like, it's so simple. Yeah, I remember when Elon brought up the idea of verification and people freaked out because they were like, oh, you're going to have to submit like your social security number. And I was like, dude, I, I don't think that's what he means. <laughs> I think you're going a little. I understand. You don't need a social security number to prove you're not a bot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I don't think he wants like full on, you know, KYC. I think it's just a basic verification of humanity, which in itself could cut down that nonsense probably by 80, 90%. Well, you know, it's going to become discriminatory because they're going to come up with a uh, verification for like celebrities Mm. and then like the common person. And uh, doesn't that already exist? well, if now there's different colored check marks, oh. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, but this is the game. It's like, well, why do they get the blue one? <laughs> Fucking blue people, right? Blue people. <laughs> and you're like, wait, well, what is going on? You right know, now? they've haven't they done an experiment with that where they've just like given people like different colored stickers and sort oh, of really? put them in a room? Yeah, and and they band together and start even to some degree start mistreating. People who have the <laughs> did you see? Did you the see the uh, wolves in I think it's Yosemite uh, National Park? No. So I don't know exactly how they captured it, but uh, there's an image that uh, I saw going around, um, and they were able to track different packs of wolves in this national park. And you know, if you imagine tracking a pack of wolves, it's like a bunch of lines everywhere, right? Because they're mo- moving around and must have been for months, if not years. Mm. Each pack has its own co- color. Okay. When you zoom out and look at the map, it's like the blue lines are all right here. The pink ones are here. The red ones are here. The green ones are here. The yellow ones are here. And basically the takeaway was like the wolves don't fuck with each other. Mm. They stay with their pack. And literally there was no blue going into the red area. Like it's almost like gangs, right? Like just like they knew what the rules of the road were and they stayed in their pack. And my takeaway from it was like, you mean to tell me that it's literally like a genetic like natural, uh, natural thing that people tend to stay in packs. Mm. The wolves do it. Humans do it all stuff. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you can't go to another pack. Doesn't mean that you can't have social mobility, all, all these different things. Mm. But like, there's like a biology conversation somewhere in there that if the wolves do it and humans do it, maybe it's not humans maliciously doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And, Again, there's exceptions, fine. But that was more eye-opening to me than anything else that I've seen in this conversation around like, yo, you tell me the wolves do the shit that humans yeah. are being accused of? Maybe it's not a human thing. Oh, dude, no, it's not at all, man. Tri- tribalism is a biological thing. And <laughs> tribalism just exists. It's not good nor bad. It's just it, it just exists, yeah, right? positive and negative impact from it, but yeah. it's just a thing that exists. Yeah, it's a thing that exists. And again, if you... If we communicate intelligently, and again, I, I do think that 
to give props to most Western countries, certainly the USA, certainly the UK, have made fantastic headway mm -hmm. in this direction, in moving away from overly toxic tribalism. I mean, you need tribalism because we're all members of families and communities. And then on top of that, we have, we have nationalities, people are from certain. So, you know, that's fine. People, even what people support, right? You, people have their sports teams that they support or whatever, and you can have, you know, some fun tribalism there. But as soon as you start like, oh, you beat somebody up because they wore the wrong football jersey or you, you know, mm -hmm. you get like to levels of hooliganism or you get to, as we've discussed, you know, racism or let going, let alone going to genocides or something. Okay. Like the tribalism has gone way, way, way too far. So I think the key thing is that, yeah, just rec recognizing that that exists. And then what's the best thing you can do? I often think of just going up a level, right? So if you think of how tribalism works, we're all members of multiple different tribes. But if you actually go up a level, you gain more commonality, mm -hmm. right? So if someone is like getting, people are getting stuck in this tribalism and division over here, it's like, wait, why don't you all go up one level? And you'll see what you have in common, right? And this, this is something that's particularly crazy when you look at certain things that have happened in history or even certain conflicts that are still going on, which are weird. I mean, if you, okay, take, take, take the religious line. I mean, look at, look at um, Northern Ireland, Right, where's that whole conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics? And I'm like, bro, you're all Christian. And you're all Irish. <laughs> you're all Irish Christians. Why, why are you bombing each other? Right? Or who? Because they're wrong. Who? <laughs> they're wrong. <laughs> they have a slightly different interpretation of the Bible. Um, or who's most Islamic terrorism aimed at? It's, it's aimed at other, other Muslims. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm like, man, that's. That's so wild. That's That shows how toxically tribal people can get. Man, you look at, obviously people always use the example of like the Holocaust, but something much more recently, I mean, 94, the Rwandan genocide. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, you know, listeners have looked into that, but that's such a horrible story. But it's like, man, it shows you the power of unhinged tribalism. And when the media and politicians get involved in it and start stoking tension, it's like, these are all Rwandans, right? You've got Tutsis, you've got Hutu, and you had about a million people killed, slaughtered, not by a government machine, by their own neighbors, primarily with machetes. This is just 1994, right? And people kind of like gloss over this. I think oftentimes things that happen in Africa are glossed over in the West. Um, they only kind of talk about Africa when it's convenient. But when you look at these stories, this is why looking at history is important. Like I'm not a historian, but I like to look at stories of history because it teaches you really about the human condition. Mm -hmm. And because we haven't fundamentally changed in our hardware and in our biology, it's really important to recognize that because, and this is why I think it makes people uncomfortable because if you do it honestly, you realize that you have to face your own shadow. You have to face the, the, the darkness, right? Everyone wants to imagine, oh, if I was in Nazi Germany, I would have freed the Jews. Bullshit. I would have done the, the majority. The majority. Yep. There would be people yep. who would do no, it. No, the, the, the majority would have either been Nazis or have been sympathetic to them mm -hmm. or have just kept their heads down. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. And no one wants to even like. How do, we, how do we know that? Well, because that's what majority of people did. They fell into one of those three groups. Yes, that that that's just what happens. And so. One reason why I'm even how I am is because I've really thought about a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. 
I've really thought about it. I've looked at the, you know, I've read the Gulag Archipelago. I've read Ordinary Man. I've read certain things and looked at even certain studies, the Milgram experiment, you know, Ash experiment, and say, okay, the dynamics when people are in groups or in tribes, or what, like this can lead to this really loopy and even very dark and violent stuff. So even when I was in my, say, in my, my 20s, I was thinking, okay, if I were ever in this kind of situation, what are my boundaries and principles and how should I, how should I behave? Because there's this groupthink thing that happens and there's when fear takes over and I'm just like, okay, I need to think about this. And I've spent a lot of time kind of doing that mental work of like, okay, hopefully in my lifetime, nothing that bad is ever going to happen or be coming down the pipeline. But if it does, these are the things to be aware of and you understand how the fear takes over and how the social pressure takes over and how, you know, the authorities, even, even just the way people defer to authority, which can, again, it's not always something that's inherently bad, right? We all need, we all need to be able to be leaders sometimes and followers sometimes, right? And if we're being honest, even people who are leaders, you probably spend more time following than leading for the, for the most part. So it's not that deference to authority is, is a bad thing, but the authority has to be has to be good, has to be valid, has to be legitimate. And you can't just, you know, what's that? Well, those magic words, I was just following orders, mm -hmm. right? That that doesn't cut it, right? There comes a time where you have to be like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this thing that completely goes against my morals or my ethics or my values just because I was told to. And that line is different for different people, but I do recommend people think about it and have one. This episode is brought to you by Sigma. The bridge between iGaming, online sports betting, and emerging technology such as blockchain, NFTs, fintech, GameFi, metaverse, and AI is loud and clear. The largest global summit of its kind is heading to Malta from November 15th through the 17th. Over 1,000 exhibitors and 25,000 industry leaders will be there, including top executives from DraftKings, Bet365, crypto exchanges, betting software providers, operators, gaming affiliates, and more. Log on to AIBC.world and Sigma.world to see our upcoming global summits. See you in Malta November 15th to 17th for the leading global event in gaming and emerging tech. This is Sigma. Go to Sigma.world today. This episode is brought to you by Exodus. Accessing Web3 across multiple networks just got a hell of a lot easier. Exodus is one of the most popular crypto wallets for mobile and desktop, and they just added Chrome and Brave web browsers to the lineup. The new Exodus Web3 wallet is a multi-chain browser extension that lets you safely navigate Web3 and DeFi apps on Ethereum, Solana, and Algorand from one wallet. Manage mint and sell NFTs on multiple networks in one wallet. You can swap Solana and ETH tokens natively right within the extension. And if you ever hit a snag, world-class customer service is available 24-7. More of your favorite chains are on the way. So run, don't walk over to exodus.com slash pomp to download the Exodus Web3 wallet right now. Again, exodus.com slash pomp. Go check them out today. So there's uh, people who get put in the position, mm -hmm. right? And they can choose whether to uh, follow either side of that line. Um but there's been a larger resurgence. I, I don't know if it, you could say it's large, but but it's growing of people who are starting to speak out about mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. Obviously, uh, the pandemic was kind of a wake up call for lots and lots of people. And they were mm -hmm. like, wait, hold on a second. This is kind of crazy stuff. Um, one of the people, Andrew Tate, yep. took the world by storm <laughs> uh, and then essentially got kicked off all the social media platforms. Yep. What do you think about the state of deplatforming and censorship and like how, how bad is it right yeah, now? Yeah, free top G, man. 
Um, before I answer that question, it's actually been really fascinating to see that because I had him on my podcast in February 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I visited him and his brother in Romania in 2020. And I was hanging out with him in Dubai actually earlier this year. So it's interesting when somebody who you know <laughs> becomes this sort of like global conversation and you're seeing like 90% of what I read about him online is wrong. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because I'm like, I know this guy. Like, what? Like, people are just saying crazy stuff. So, um, but yeah, in terms of deplatforming, de- it's it sucks, man. Honestly, it, it sucks. It's extraordinarily illiberal. Um, it's actually, dude. I mean, again, I, I don't think people think about this stuff deeply enough. Mm-hmm. They deplatformed the former president of the United States of America from multiple platforms simultaneously. I don't care whether you like Trump, dislike Trump, what that is insane. That should freak you out. Like that should freak like I don't He technically was still president when they did it. He was still the the sitting president of the United States. Someone's in bed, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook like in a coordinated, you know, off of a very fuzzy notion that he, I mean, he didn't direct, he didn't call for violence. He didn't actually, people are, oh, well, he broke, it's like, you can't even, like, people just repeat stuff. People just parrot stuff. But here, here's, here's, a, here's another issue that happens. The sitting in, part, by the way, yeah. is like, when people are like, oh, it happened. Yeah. I think some people are like, well, that, and, and it still happened. Crazy. He's still not allowed back on. But the sitting president of the United Same. States of America. Dude. And again, if they were to go and do it to Joe Biden, yeah. I would still be just as much as yes. like, yo, 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 hold on. Because it becomes a thing where who's in charge? Dude, it's crazy. Like, wait, what? Yeah. Dude, I, anyone who celebrated that, you're a dummy. If you if you celebrated Trump being deplatformed, you are a fool. Because it goes back to the idea of uh, never use a tool that you wish for your enemy to never, uh, to never have access to. Yep. Yep. Right? And so like- if Twitter got sold and they went and they hired somebody and uh, they wanted to go after all the Democrats, mm-hmm. I think there'd be a lot of people, oh shit. Yeah. Right. And so it doesn't, it's not a political left or right thing to me. No. It, it's just a, again, there are exceptions of if you call for violence, if you do certain things, okay, got it. But it feels like uh, there's this world of just like, you got too much power as a yep. user. And I think that, you know, if you look at uh, Tate, it's not very clear to me as to like why he got taken off all these different No, do you, do, do you know? I, I mean, I, I, spo- I spoke to him the day that it happened because okay. I, I called him immediately. And I was like, dude, like, what the heck just happened? Um, this is when he, you know, he, his YouTube had his, in, it was just his Instagram and Facebook. Okay. But, I, you know, his YouTube hadn't been taken down and so on. And then, you know, that came a follow a couple days later. Um, do you know? Co- coincidence. Yeah, but... but this is this is it's important for people to understand this because he did not violate he di- he didn't post anything that violated their policies. Do you know the, the policy that they banned him under? No. Was the um, dangerous individuals or organizations? <laughs> so they just so that they just, was spitting too much truth. <laughs> so if you think why does this policy exist? This policy exists so that the the Ku Klux Klan can't have an official Instagram page. This this exists so that um, Al-Qaeda cannot be putting out recruitment videos on, yep. on YouTube, et cetera. That's why, you know, dangerous 
persons and organizations. So they've essentially thrown him in that same category with the worst, like actual terrorists, actual murderers, actual genocidal maniacs, because they, and this is how they weaponize these words. The words they weaponize, some of the most dangerous words being used these days are dangerous, safety, harm, and harmful. That's how they always phrase it, right? It's always, oh, we need to protect you. We need to protect you, right? Oh, this is harmful. This is, this is misinformation. This is, dis oh, this is harmful. You made that person feel unsafe. You probably saw the other day about, you know, the from the podcast thing. When ben, did you see the one with Ben Shapiro? No. You didn't see... You didn't see the the podcast thing in Dallas? No. Where the, someone's oh, someone's laughing. <laughs> Yo. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, he went to the conference. This is the conference where he and, showed up to then, a conference and then they said uh, people felt unsafe because he was yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I did see it. Did we see apologize yeah, for yeah, yeah. The, the, the harm his presence caused. His presence. Just That's a powerful motherfucker, you know, it sounds five, like. Five foot eight Jewish man in a kippah or, you know, st standing there after his organization spent 30 grand to rent a booth and sponsor the event. Dude, dude, like the, the whole thing is wild, but this is the weaponization of language, right? During yeah. during the pandemic, why were they kicking people? Oh, he's har harmful, spreading harmful disinformation, misinformation. There's people who literally put out facts, right? They deplatform doctors. They deplatform scientists. Just, oh, harmful, misinformation. And so that sort of safety language, it's how they deplatform Trump. It's how they deplatform Tate. Prior to this, by the way, because I've been on Twitter since 2009. So I remember when this all started. Because for the first, up until about 2014, 2015, so no they, one, yeah. no one worried about getting deplatformed. That's when they got, uh, what was the- Alex uh, Jones. Alex Jones, but then there was another- Gavin McInnes. Uh, another conservative Laura guy. Laura Loomer. The guy with the, uh, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo, that's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, there were, there were like a bunch of them. And it was all people on the right. Yep. You know, and they always start with the people who are more objectionable. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, people now there's these dummies celebrating Andrew Tate's ban. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, so okay, you considered him on okay, a couple of years ago they considered Alex Jones on the fringe. Mm -hmm. And they considered um Milo Yiannopoulos and Gavin, oh, they were they were on the fringe. All right. Now you consider Andrew Tate. Do, do you dummies not realize that as that closes in, you at some point are going to be standing on the edge of that island as it's crumbling all around you? Um, you, you know that the YouTube video we put up of uh, Andrew Tate, the title was Andrew Tate is the new Alex Jones. Jones. Yeah. Be because it was so obvious Brilliant that, interview, like, by the way. that that was going to be the game. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you're saying things that are outside. And I, j I joke about like, oh, that, that somebody's saying too much truth, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's like Shapiro, Tate, whatever. Uh, but you know what the most telling part of the entire Andrew Tate situation to me was? Tell me. He came out with the last, me the last message, mm -hmm. an hour, hour and 10 minute video. It came out. And I said, you know what? I owe this guy my time. He did a bunch of stuff. He sent went and all this stuff and everything. People have been asking me, hey, mm -hmm. you met him. What is he like? All this stuff and everything, right? And, and I said, the fact that somebody would ask me that tells me that you're a critical thinker, mm -hmm. right? Because you're like, hey, I see all this stuff on the internet, but like, what's he really like? He like, like, let yeah. me talk to somebody who at least talked to him because I can't talk to him mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. But then I'd be at dinner and other people would be chirping and, you know, mm -hmm. saying all this crazy shit and everything. And I just sit there and I'd be like, it's a human yeah. trafficker. Well, he's well, a, just like, a, you just have no clue, right? You, no. Have, you have no clue because you're, you're, you have an opinion about somebody that you've never spoken to before. Yes. So when that came out, I took it and um, I wrote a bunch of these group chats and stuff with people who, you know, for generally have big audiences or influential, mm -hmm. or whatever. And I put it in there and I said, listen, whether you like this person or not, whatever your preconceived notion is, watch this. Yeah. See what you think. If you want to watch it because you think that this is the 21st century way of communication mm -hmm. and this is like, you know, uh, uh, you, you're studying the tactics, not the, the content, cool. You'll, you'll get some value out of it. But if you actually want to know more about the person, watch this. Mm -hmm. And 
I'd love to hear what you guys all think. I can't tell you how many people responded to this. Said, I, don't, I don't have time to watch it. Yeah, of course. It, it's, it's our, oh, mm-hmm. I, I don't have that mm-hmm. time. And they just didn't even look at it. Yeah. But then they kept, I saw them, they were still sharing opinions about it yeah. and everything. And, and I said, look, I don't expect people to defend somebody they don't know. I don't also expect people to, going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation, mm-hmm. have some crazy opinion either way or whatever. But if you do have an opinion, yes. you owe yourself. Be informed. Go, yeah, go, go get the information. And, and another thing is, you know, people need to stop this thing of conflating Defend, you know, like I like I say, I'll, I don't, I'll, I will defend Andrew Tate himself, but not that he needs me to. He can defend himself. Um, but you can defend. It's defend principles. Mm-hmm. There are principles. Like if you are someone with principles and values and belief, if you are, if you believe in the concept of freedom of speech, mm-hmm. right? Not just on a legal level, not just on this narrow legal level, but it's actually a cultural issue too. Freedom of speech is not supposed to just be a legal concept. It's also a social and cultural concept, right? You could, if you have, if, if you have freedom of speech so-called protected under the law, but like societally, societally and culturally, it's absolutely not tolerated, then you, then you don't really have it. If people are terrified to speak and say basic things, then you're not supporting freedom of speech. So anyone who I, whether I, I doesn't, my personal feelings about the person or what they're saying, whether I agree with them politically or I don't care. I will defend the principle of someone having a right to voice what they want to voice for a huge number of reasons. Another thing that's also been getting lost in our, in our society and maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this is linked to the, to the loss of religion because it can, you know, religion can also overly be used to kind of push the opposite. But forgiveness and salvation, <laughs> right? This is one of the, I don't think like, yes, you sure social media, private company, you can do whatever you want. Like, bro, I'm largely libertarian. Like I'm not even arguing that, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. This cuts in all directions. And also you need to give people a pathway to people change. You need to give people a pathway to forgiveness and salvation and understanding and so on. If you just, I mean, even the, the proper legal system understands this, right? There are people who have killed people who are walking free. There's people who have raped, robbed, burgled people who are, who are walking free. They served their time. They spent 25 years in prison. They, they did their whole sentence. Fingers crossed. They actually reformed and they changed. And now they're an integrated productive member of society. You don't condemn the person forever. Oh, you stole something when you were 17. We're going to lock you up forever in jail and we're going to throw away the key. Oh, you had but if you, you had, tweet, if you tweet bad things, you don't get to come yeah, back. I don't think I don't permanent bans shouldn't exist. I know that social media is not everything, but bro, like majority of the world is on social media. Billions of people use it. It's where the conversations happen. So the idea that you said something in 2014, which Twitter felt cross line. And so never again can you use that. That is insane to me, bro. That's crazy. Even if you did actually cross line, how about, okay, one year ban, you know, one year ban after that, you know, you learn, you can, you can come back and play nice. But the idea that you just kick people off forever, especially to do it so arbitrarily to me is, I think it sets a, I think it sends a really bad message. And I think also, and this has been studied. I know that the guys at minds.com studied this. Um, They're great. It, it, it radicalizes people more. Of course. 
it radicalizes people more. How do you get someone to change their mind? You have to talk to them. Like, I understand, trust me, I understand that having conversations with certain people is not fun and it's not, right? Like there's people out there who are just so far gone. I'm like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to sit down and really have a conversation with like an actual white supremacist or something, right? But that's the only way to get them to change their views. Mm -hmm. You have to hear them out. You have to rebut them. You have to talk. I believe that good ideas ultimately win. If you don't censor, I do believe that good ideas generally will generally will float to the top. Not all the time, not 100%. But you let people voice their stuff. You let them have their concerns. You can correct them on this. You can debate this. and so Just censoring that person and pushing them out to the corner. And then who do they go hang with and who are they conversing with? Right? They're just with the other banned people. Right. That's one of the problems you've had with some of the um, alternative social media platforms, especially something like Gab. Right. Because it's like become the home of everyone. Everyone who got kicked off of everything else now goes to this one platform. And it's like it's not it's not moderated at all. It's just like, OK, well, you can kind of just say whatever on there and people are going to like back you up and reinforce that. And so you believe it's even more and more true. And it, it increases the polarization. It, it's not helping, I think. There's this natural tendency as human beings when we see or we hear something we don't like. Like, I understand censorship because it's not hard to understand. If someone says something that, that offends you or you don't like or you have a visceral reaction to, the natural inclination is to want to shut that person up, mm -hmm. right? You, 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 that's, the, that's the first urge. That's like the biological urge is sh shut this person up, get them out of my sight. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to talk to them. I don't want, in fact, they shouldn't even be allowed to say what they're saying. I get where that tendency comes from, but- we have to be able to fight it because ultimately in this country, you've got about 340 million people. In this world, we've got about 8 billion people. No two people are the same. There's no two people on this planet who agree on absolutely everything. It doesn't exist. We're all different. We have our different social views, cultural views, personalities, religious views, political – like we're, we're just – we're different, right? It's a good thing. Yes, and, and, it, and it's a good thing and it's, and it's fine – and we need to be able to coexist, right? So if I look at a country like the USA, and I talk about the US a lot, I'm here right now, um, but also it is, the USA truly is a leader. I don't know if Americans always understand just how much, when, when people call the USA the leader of the free world, mm -hmm. that's not just a cute name, that's actually what it is, mm -hmm. right? Other countries across Europe, Australia, Canada, the UK, they take cues from the USA. Even non-Western countries take cues from the USA. So what happens in the USA does matter, right? Whether it's the music that becomes popular here becomes popular in other countries. The ideas that become popular here often become popular in other places. And so that's why, because some, some Americans don't go, oh, like, you know, mind your own business. Why are you talking about the US? And it's like, dude, because it impacts everyone. It impacts everyone. And you've got such a big population. Um, and, oh man, sorry, I'm losing my, what was the initial point? I was I was going to make what yes people need to be able to coexist yeah. right if you're going to have all that diversity in every true sense of the word then you need a way of having things you need not not just a, you need a legal structure obviously but also culture changes mm -hmm. and things that were not previously acceptable become acceptable yes and in reverse yes. so there's a lot of people who uh the mob came for because of things they said in 2000 mm -hmm. And uh, I always remind folks, you want to know the single best way uh, that I found, especially men, um, but but uh, to figure out how much culture has changed, go on YouTube and search The Man Show 
Jimmy Kimmel mm. and Adam Kroll. They had a show, Comedy mm. Central. This show, literally called The Man Show, it was for men. Yeah. It had women in like bikinis jumping on trampolines. They were drinking beer and doing <laughs> dude shit. Yeah. Right? I told somebody that this show existed. They're like, that show never was on television. I said, it, it was on a fucking regular cable. Like, it wasn't a pay-per-view. It wasn't, yeah. You know, it was like, literally, if you just, like, had the cable at the house, you could get the show. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no way. So we went. The first, <laughs> the very first episode from this show is on uh, YouTube. You will watch five minutes of this. Like, how did they ever air it? <laughs> You're literally like, there's no, like, what were they thinking? Yeah. But it's because it was a different time. Yeah. And so, obviously, what was okay then is now viewed as not okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the reverse happens. Mm -hmm. There's things that you couldn't say three years ago that now you can say. And so if somebody was punished or kicked off yes. or, or whatever, how do you accommodate or, or account for, well, what if things change and now what they're saying is like an accepted thing? Mm. And Zero Hedge was uh, was probably the example where we saw oh, yeah. this most. They were the first to talk about the Lab League, mm -hmm. kicked off immediately. The second they got kicked off, I was like, <laughs> somebody's going to have to find out some more information yeah. on this. Now we have politicians. I, I would argue that actually there's- it's The most a, common theory now. A number of politicians who think it's the most likely thing. It's the, mo right? it's the most likely theory. And so, again, they got reinstated yeah. and, and, and all this stuff. But like, imagine if they'd been kicked off of any platform mm -hmm. and not allowed back. It was a permanent ban. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, three years later, we're, we're like, oh yeah, everyone thinks this. Yeah. How and do you bring them back? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, man. That's the that's the salvation component. I think a big part of it also is just maturity. I think a lot about like uh, how mature we are as a society. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've been uh, – some of this stems from the comfort you alluded to earlier. But we are – we've had a lot of infantilization of adults over the past few decades to a level that is where people cannot handle – and regulate their own emotions. Uh, I call it emotional incontinence. And we essentially are catering to the most neurotic, most scaredy cat, most e easily offended, most easily triggered people. It's like it's like a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to encourage people to become more resilient and strong mentally, physically, and emotionally we're trying to nerf the whole world, right? So instead of, so instead of telling the person who wants to cry because someone called them not their preferred pronoun, instead of telling that person like, look, man, be strong. It's not, it's not, it's not the end of the world, right? People talk like, People generally refer to people based on the biological gender that they think they are. And so like, bro, like get over it. Just get over it. Instead, it's like, oh, no, we need, need to get 99.9% .9 of people who never had any issue ever with how pronouns are used. Now you all need – we need to change the entire English language and your understanding of it to cater to this not even 0.1% of People, right? Like this, whoa, one guy on Twitter got offended. So we all need to cater to. By the way, we had the same thing during the pandemic, right? Instead of just going, okay, look, there's a certain segment of the population that's particularly vulnerable to this disease, and there should be certain accommodations and perhaps policies and 
things put in place for them. Instead, it's like, no, we need to treat everyone the same, right? We, because this, there's this, you know, 1% of people, 100% of you need to completely sideline your entire lives for two years because of this thing. By the way, can, can it, you imagine it might not, how offended people would have been if they said old people and unhealthy people and you were anything below the I'll, age of 60 and you were do you, unhealthy? Do you, know, do you know who wouldn't have been offended? Old people. Of course. Isn't that funny? Of course. The people who are most vulnerable. I, I remember early I remember early on in, in when I was in the UK. Old people are like, yo, it was, save <laughs> me. <laughs> I remember I remember whenever uh you know whatever I was like going going around maskless like the rebel I am. Like the other people I see not wearing masks were almost always over 60. Course. It was hilarious. Like I would, I'd be in the supermarket, you know, all the everyone in like from teenagers to forties are you know all wearing their masks, and then I'm just seeing like some old guy or some old woman just going around with, them. and I'm like, they don't care. Like that, that like no one even like was there ever a poll done on elderly people asking if they even all this was done supposedly in their name. It's like, do they even want that? Is that even what? Like, why can't they take care of themselves? But again, it's this infantilization and. That, Cause that's how you treat children. You don't let children make all their own choice. You don't even tell that you, you don't even get to choose what you eat for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe we'll have two cereals and you can pick one. Right. But that's what they're, that's how they're treating adults now. Right. There's, there's this loss of idea of you, adults are mature and therefore you can give them a level of autonomy and liberty and freedom and ability to make their own choices and so on. It's like, no, we need to take that away and be more authoritarian because we can't trust the people to make their own decisions. And I think that people need to stop playing into that. And I think that when you encourage this censorship or safe spaces or deplatforming everyone you disagree with or whatever, and you're discouraging conversation and debate and discourse, then it, it furthers the problem. Mm -hmm. And you're appeasing, again, you're appeasing the weakest links. Of course. You're appeasing the weakest links. And we've never done that before. We've gone from survival of the fittest to tyranny of the weakest. Speaking of survival of the fittest, what's up with the Secretary of State in the UK, uh, or Secretary of, of uh, Health? Uh, oh, the new one? The new one. Uh, she doesn't look healthy. Uh, yeah. And uh, then I saw a lineup of a bunch of uh, Secretary of Health across all these countries, and a lot of them don't look very healthy. <laughs> now, I don't think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is the expectation, right, of like somebody who's like a bodybuilder or like super, super fit because they do nothing but work out all yeah. day. But there is some irony to the fact that uh, a number of people who supposedly are in charge of the health of tens of millions, hundreds of millions yeah. of people – may not actually be healthy themselves. No, we don't live in serious countries, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is kind of like a Simpsons episode, right? Like, yo, if we going to have a secretary of health, let's make them really not healthy. That'd be funny. It's, it's weird, man. It's weird. I often... It, it's, it's strange, because it, it's, it's across the world. I mean, do you remember the old one from Belgium? Yes. Like... I, and this isn't me trying to be mean to people, but if you are here, here's a controversial opinion. I think that if you are a personal trainer or a health secretary or a health sec, I think you should be in shape. Like, I mean, I don't think that's too much to ask for. I feel the same when I see like an obese personal trainer and I'm like, um, <laughs> like practice what you preach. Like if, I, if I'm 
going to hire a financial advisor and they are like broken massively in debt. Uh, See, when you say it this way, people are like, oh, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Warren Buffett, who's like somehow has escaped all of the mob, whatever. uh, One of his like famous quotes is Wall Street is the only place where millionaires ride in nice cars to go get advice from people who rode the subway. Mm. Right? Like Mm. basically – the rich people are getting advice from people who may not be rich. And again, I don't think that uh, take money as an example. To be a financial advisor, you have to be rich and like ultra rich. Like, yeah. yeah, like richer than your clients. Yeah, yeah. But like, it goes back to like maybe you just need to have good financial habits. Yeah. And guess what? If you have good financial habits, you will eventually yeah, build you some so, level of wealth. Yes, you shouldn't be ultra broken in debt. Same thing with fitness. You don't have to be the bodybuilder, <laughs> right? You don't have to be an ultra marathon runner. No. But like be generally eating healthy, be generally taking care of yourself mm. uh, in whatever way. Like if somebody, if, if a health minister or whatever you want to call them, right, was like, you know what? I go for a 30-minute walk every day. I eat healthy and uh, generally feel good and uh, and all that. Like, great. Like that's what works for that person. They seem to care. It is. They're like putting things into practice. And by the way, that's going to be the message. It's also just modeling. Yeah. You know, it's it's role modeling, man. I mean, bro, bro I've, I've written two fitness books. If... Like just that alone means I can't be out of shape. Like, like even from my own perspective, if I'm ever like, I'm, I'm like, bro, I, I literally wrote fitness, but like I tell people about fitness, I cannot let myself go back. Right? Like, like that's embarrassing, dude. It's like, bro, bro, like you're not even like, why don't you read your own book and take your yeah. advice? Right? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's such a, it's such a basic thing. But people on the internet also live. Uh, you 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 grow accustomed to the trolls. Yeah. So like what like before you tweet something, you like pretty much know like oh here's what the trolls will say uh-huh. or like hey let me say it in a way that takes away their like argument or whatever. I think that those same people in the real world like you know right you're mm-hmm. like if I get out of shape, some troll will be like dude read your own book <laughs> yeah. right like and so like there's this like conditioning that happens where you're constantly always just like all right what are the I, trolls? I have that troll in my own head yeah. like that, that's why I'm that's why you're good at what you do though yeah, is because so you're I'll like speak. yo I fucking yeah. know what you trolls <laughs> I got your argument already <laughs> I'll hold myself accountable before any, before anybody else does. But man, politics is so weird though in that regard because I don't, I don't know. Like I flip flop between thinking the whole thing is just kind of a game or an illusion or like it's real. I don't know. But I, I, I believe, I feel like any, every American I know, all of my American acquaintances or friends, I believe would be a better president than the current one. All of them. I think you'd be a better president than Joe Biden. I think everyone, your, your staff, I, I think it, so I'm always like, how, even when you look at like the mayor level or the, you know, I think you know, Flor, um, Florida, well, we're in Florida, Miami and Florida both have, you know, good um, mayors and, and, and governors, I believe. Um, but like around the country, I just see some of the mayors and some of the, they're so goofy. <laughs> I'm just like, how, how is this person, like, how did this person become the leader? Because like, I'll go to the city or whatever. And I'm like, bro, like you, 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 like any of you could do this better. Have you seen, uh, there's one race, uh, specifically, um, I think it's in Pennsylvania. I want to say it's in Congress. Maybe they got, uh, two guys and and I pay so little attention to this that I'm definitely afraid of getting something (laughs) wrong. Uh, but I think it's this guy, John, uh, Fetterman and, uh, Dr. Oz. Yes. And the only reason why, uh, (laughs) I I know those two guys are running against each other is because somebody took a video of Dr. Oz, like yelling and screaming, whatever about the other guy. And then the John Fetterman guy yelling and screaming about him. And they put it like back to back and they were like, dude, what the fuck is going on here? And it's just like, man, 
those are the two choices that some group of people have. It's weird. And like, I don't know what their policies are. I don't know like anything, right? But it wasn't exactly like a video that made me be like, you know what? I need to wake up and be better. Yeah. And I think that's part of this whole like role model thing mm. is I think, again, uh, people will debate, presidents, if you start at the top, used to be aspirational in the sense of people wanted that job. Yes. People felt like you had to be a good citizen, moral, like all these things to get that job. Mm-hmm. And the president made the nation want to be better. Yes. And the way that the nation wants to be better is the individual feels like that. Like, well, that sounds a lot like fucking leadership, but mm. put that aside. I feel like there are very few people in the world today that are in traditional positions of power or influence that have that impact. I agree. Now it's people on the internet with like a fucking cell phone who like are doing selfie videos. Mm-hmm. And so to me, like that's a pretty interesting dynamic where we shifted from like all this centralized control and power and influence, all this stuff. And like those, that's what the aspirational role mm-hmm. model, you know, uh, type relationship was. Now people are running to like this other thing yeah. and they're still getting it. Like, I don't know, Jocko Wilnick versus like the president of the United States, like, well, he's probably more actionable for the everyday person in terms yes. of like, you know, wake up, take responsibility, you know, do whatever. I don't think very many presidents were like, make your bed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's still a pretty big shift to me. Yeah. And it feels like we just like, oh yeah, oh, yeah these people are, are important now and we just don't even worry at all mm. about uh, uh, the fact that the people in power aren't. Yeah. And that extends to traditional celebrities as well. And I think this is, I think long-term this is actually good. Okay. I, I think for... Some people, regardless of what people say, most people are not huge fans of change, Um, regardless of what they think. Like most people don't actually love having drastic changes. And we're living through a totally unique period in human history right now. And I think this is part of why it feels so, it's why we're having this conversation. It's why stuff feels so chaotic and confusing and deranging and destructive because there's this weird reordering that is going on. There are institutions and positions and things that have existed forever and they're losing the power and centralization that they had. You see this in the media. Mm -hmm. You've just talked about it in politics, even in celebrity culture or who's deemed an influencer, right? Before you had to go through the proper channels, there were always gatekeepers, whether you're a musician, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you're this, you had to go through very certain things, right? To be a celebrity, even 40 years ago, you know, there were not like independent musician celebrities, or of course there were no YouTubers or podcasters. It was like, okay, you've got news anchors and you've got, uh, you know, the people in the political levels and you've got the Hollywood celebrities and you've got this and that. And if you talk to the younger generation, Already the shift has happened Mm -hmm. because they know YouTubers and TikTokers and Instagrammers and actually recognize them more than they recognize what we consider traditional celebrities. A hundred percent. Right. And also they aspire more to that. There aren't that many young people you'll talk to and be like, oh, I want to be an actor or I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be, um, uh, you know, I want to be an influencer. Now, some people might not like that because they might think it's weird and those aren't real jobs or whatever. But my point is that there's this creative destruction, mm-hmm. which is happening. I actually think a lot of it started, I think the music industry was one of the first things that got massively disrupted mm-hmm. by the internet and by social media and all, and so on. 50 Cent broke the music business. 50 Cent. 
Everyone, <laughs> everyone forgets that. 50 yeah. Cent broke the, he, the mixtape the, the strategy, yeah. and he also had a website, mm-hmm. and he was leaking his own music on his own website, this reading the comments, and then he was basically going back and saying, okay, let's not release that one. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, the audience doesn't like it. Let's do something else or whatever. But, like, that eventually became what music did, and he was one of the first people to realize it. Yep. And it's all because Columbia Records dropped him the night that he got shot. Yep. And so this is hap- This is happening. We see it happen with you know digital photography, with the film industry. Now you've got you know, dude, Blockbuster could have bought Netflix when it was cheap, right? I mean, Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So just in our own, I mean, if you just look in our own relatively short lifetimes, the shifts we've had are insane, mm-hmm. absolutely insane. And so, I mean, if you even in just in the last ten years, so while. I have many concerns and we all have concerns and we're worried about this and that, even with stuff like the deplatforming, right? Mm-hmm. I think a solution will be worked out mm-hmm. long-term. Like right now it sucks. Right now it's like, dude, like what's going on? Why are they doing this? Why don't they know how to moderate properly? I think part of why they don't, sure, they have their political biases, right? And there can be some malice involved. But also it's like, this is new. This is a new problem. I don't think that when Jack Dorsey met, made Twitter or when Mark Zuckerberg made it, I don't think they had a clue they were going to be as big as they are. There is no way on earth Mark Zuckerberg thought, oh, three billion people are going to be, there's over three billion. No, dude, he was like hot or not. (laughs) Half the world's population uses your product? That's insane. And they're all talking, they're talking, like, sure, there's moderation issues. We can not, but that's not easy. Mm -hmm. That's not an easy task to just be like, okay, like this is exactly the way you do it. You're going to have new things popping up. MySpace was the big thing when I was starting out in music. Like new things are going to come in. This is going to come in. That's going to become bigger. That's going to become smaller. And I think one thing that's great is that we are having this actual increased democratization. Mm-hmm. Did I say the word right? Um, where anybody, you, I, anybody out there, we can build, you can build your own platform. You can become a, a well-known person or celebrity in your own right. We're getting all these, instead of just having a handful of Hollywood celebrities mm-hmm. or a handful of actors or athletes or whatever, it's like, yeah, you, you still got that. But now you've just got, there's like millions of micro influencers and micro celebrities and people are finding that. I think overall, that's really good. It's creating new jobs, new creative outlets, new ways of doing things. I'll tell you something that I think is going to be massively disrupted by this. And I don't think that the legacy version is prepared and I can't wait for this to happen. Actually, this is an area where I like where I'm a progressive. Uh, education, mm, education in higher education. We're still running off the fumes of this centuries-old academic model, mm-hmm. both in schools and at universities. Mm-hmm. And as we're seeing, as the cost of university continues to increase, while the value of a degree continues to decrease. That's not sustainable. You can't keep having the value of a degree staying the same or decreasing as the financial cost goes up and up and up and up every year, as well as you're having this whole digital revolution going on. Mm-hmm. It's going to move. It's, it, it has to change. It has to shift, just like the music industry was forced through this change, just like the film industry was forced through this change, just like um, other things are happening, right? We're, we're, we're Bitcoin guys, right? The, mu- the financial industry is going to is being disrupted and is going through this change it's going to happen with education and I that will be agree. and that will be good the one thing that the legacy still has 
is what I would call, <laughs> it's funny me saying this as an Oxford graduate, um, perceived legitimacy, mm-hmm. right? So the average person, and lots of this is an overhang from older generations, so many people still think, have this mentality of, oh, you know, you have to go to college. Even employers have this. So many people will say, oh, well, you have to go to college because employers have, say you need a degree to get. It's like, that's going to change. It's already changing with certain companies. Most companies driven by younger people don't care about your degree. They care about what you can do and your Mm -hmm. personality and so on. So that whole, I think in the next decade or two, the whole education system, especially in higher education, is going to be much more fragmented and decentralized. The thing that needs to be worked out online, I believe, and this will take time, is the accreditation. The accreditation and then with that, the perceived legitimacy that comes with it. So as someone who went to Oxford University, even though like a day-to-day thing, I don't use my I don't use my degree for anything that I do. But just the fact, if I ever wanted to go back into the traditional world of work, which I don't, um, the fact I have a, an Oxford University degree on a global level that is recognized as, oh, wow, you, this guy, this guy is smart. There's the prestige with it. And, and, and that's, and that's cool. That's cool. Um, but, and I will say this myself, the thing really should be like, well, what are your capabilities? Mm-hmm. What can you done? What have you done? Right. It's not having an Oxford degree that makes me smart or makes me capable or makes me competent or anything. It's, it's, it's who I am and the way my brain works and the way that I operate. Um, so yeah, it's cool to have that box ticked, but I think as time goes on with it, it'll, I think it'll take a couple generations mm-hmm. for this shift to happen and for there maybe to be online equivalents mm-hmm. in terms of perceived legitimacy as the Oxfords and the Harvards and the Cambridges and the Yales and so on. That'll take some time because these institutions are old. I mean, Oxford is, yeah. Oxford is about, I want to say about 600 years older than the USA. My college was founded in the 1100s. Yeah, right? That is crazy. It was founded in the 1100s, right? And so, you know, you've got people from, you know, C.S. Lewis to J.R. Yep. Tolkien to all these prime ministers and so on who who went through those halls. So I don't think that's going to completely go away. Mm-hmm. But I think that the – I think that, you know, when it comes to university, STEM, mm-hmm. STEM, STEM is going to be there and it's going to stay and certain universities going to stay. But – there's so much that's ripe for not just disruption, but I'd say destruction. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of nonsense out there that is, you know, just nonsense degrees. Yeah. <laughs> nonsense degrees at nonsense universities that are not helping anyone. They're kind of glorified Ponzi schemes as far as I'm aware because mm-hmm. the only thing you can use to – you, only way you can make money with them is to either get a fake job or become someone who then goes back into academia and teaches everyone about, you know, mm-hmm. lesbian dance theory. Um, you know, they're not real degrees. They don't help anyone. They don't do anything of value to society. So I think those are going to, those are going to naturally go, you know, you let the free market happen. Yeah. And you know who the most dangerous person in America is? Ooh. It's along these lines of disruption. (laughs) So it's, it's not education, but it's, it's media. Okay. Joe Rogan. Rogan. Yeah. The reason being not for what most people think of the audience size. Yes, that is important. But because he's willing to have the conversations yeah. that nowhere else basically will with that size of audience. But do you want to know what my prediction is for somebody who will become one of the most dangerous people in America? Andrew Schultz. Interesting. Because, one, he's got uh, the protection of being a comedian. 
He's allowed to say things in society that many other people cannot say. Mm-hmm. Uh, second is his weapon of choice is his mind. Mm. He's willing to go direct to the people. Mm-hmm. And it's the number one thing that scares the shit out of the centralized institutions. Yeah. So if you're sitting there and, you know, for those that don't know, he, uh, he sold one special, sold a second one. They wanted to edit out some jokes. He said, no, I'll buy it back from you. And I'll just go direct and I'll set up a website, theandrewschultz.com, and I'll sell directly to the people. And he claims that he made more than five times more money Mm -hmm. than if he'd done it with a streamer. I believe that. If you're sitting there and you're a streamer, you have to be absolutely shaking in fear that he just basically red-pilled a bunch of these comedians that say, why would I come to you? Why don't I just go direct? Yeah. And then I have the contact information of the audience. I can remarket to them. I can do all these things. I can sell them tickets. I can do like, – like I just cut you out of the process. And now me and my people, we communicate directly. Yeah. That's like the new danger in society is these people who are willing to think differently and can disrupt these institutions, these uh, uh, mechanisms – because it's not about the first person who does it. Because mm-hmm. technically, even Schultz wasn't the first one to do no, it, no. right? There, are other other people had done it before. But the people who <coughs> popularize the strategy, mm-hmm. everyone who follows. And so, when you think of things like you know YouTube or whatever, it's like there was one person who was the first actor who was like, "Oh, I'm not going to act in a movie. I'm going to act on the internet." Mm-hmm. Then another, then another, then another. And then Mr. Beast comes along. Yep. And now people are like. Yo, Mr. Beast is bigger than the movie studios. (laughs) And there's a bunch of young kids who are like, I want to be the next Mr. Beast in my own, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, to the movie industry, the biggest threat is actually Mr. Beast. Yeah. He got more views than Squid Games got on Netflix. Good. And so you're sitting there saying like, oh, shit. Yep. That one video is not the threat. Mm -hmm. It's that he just red-pilled an entire generation of kids. You don't have to go do the movie theater. Yeah, I love it. Do you do you know who worked this out early? Who? Rappers. Independent Explain. rappers. Explain. Like independent rappers back in the 90s who would just hustle their music independently, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're talking about Too Short or Ludacris before the record deal or, you know, later 50 Cent with the mixtape hustle. A lot of the guys in the South, a lot of the mm-hmm. guys from like Houston, um, some of the Bay Area rappers, there was just this thing, you know, even Jay, how Jay-Z even started, mm-hmm. right? Like print up your own record, market it and sell it yourself. And I mean, that's, that's where I took my inspiration from. I mean, I don't know how much you know about my, my story of how I like built up my music You're audience on the streets in the UK. London, right? Yeah. On the yeah. streets. Well, the, the whole UK. The whole UK. So when I was at Oxford, I started rapping when I was in my first year of university. Mm-hmm. Um, I released my first album when I was 19 in my, in my second year, it was an album called Commercial Underground. And the first ever run I did, I just did, I did a run of 50 CDs to begin with. And I just sold those to friends and family, boom, in a week, they were all sold. I went back, took that money, cool, printed 250. Um, Similar, word was getting around, primarily sold it around people in my university. And then boom, I took that money and printed 1,000. And at this point, I'd exhausted my- People you knew. Yeah, people I knew. And I'd bought CDs off people in the street before. Like if I'm walking around in London or central London, you know, I'd meet guys and London rappers and I'd buy CDs off of them. I I knew about the mixtape hustle that was going on in the USA and so on. And I bought mixtapes in the USA when I traveled here. Um, I was like, ah, that's what I'll do. So I remember I'm the first day ever. I went, you know, I went out on the street. I think I just had like 
six CDs with me or something. And I was like, okay, let me just try this out. And it, I think it took like half an hour before I even approached anybody. Cause I'm like, there. I was like, Whoa, like, this is people see me now and they're like, Oh wow. Zuby's so extroverted and confident. But it's like, man, like that's cause I've had hundreds and thousands of conversations. And, but you know, I remember I, I think the third person I spoke to bought, bought my album for like five pounds. And I was like, Oh wow. So I set up the light. I was like, wow, I sold one. That means I can sell another, you know, within a couple hours, within like two hours, you know, I, I sold all the CDs. I came back, I came back uh, the next day, you know, I, I brought 10 CDs with me. Boom. I sold 10 CDs. I made 50 pounds. I was like, okay, this is what I can do. And then over time, I started doing that all over the country, mm -hmm. right? I would travel all the way to Scotland. I'd go to Wales. I went to the Isle of Wight. I'm going to East Anglia, all over the UK, every city. And I was just selling my CDs. I've sold, I sold over 30,000 albums hand to hand. Jesus. Out of my backpack. Just yep. me. Hand yep. to hand. Do you know how many people you have to talk to to sell 30,000 CDs? <laughs> like, dude, that, that's what people I did. People are buying so. 10,000 at a time. <laughs> no. So that was my, bro, I learned, I learned to speak French. I learned to speak Spanish because I was, because in the UK, you get people from all mm -hmm. over Europe. So I was like, man, I keep bumping into French people and I'm sure, I like taught myself French. I was like there, I'd have days where I'm just speaking French all day, selling my CDs to all these French kids in Oxford or in Canterbury or whatever. And then um, in 2014, uh, with my with my friend Shouto, who's also an independent rapper, we started uh, what was called the the Blue and Purple Store. So it was a pop up shop. So you you know, in shopping malls, sometimes if you're walking through, they've got the little kiosks mm -hmm. and stores and independent retailers selling their stuff. So we started doing that. We opened the first one at the White Lee Shopping Center in London, and we were selling our CDs and also our T-shirts and hats. We didn't have that much merch at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that went well. And then we opened one in like West Key and Southampton. We started doing pop-up shops. So rather than just being on the street all the time, yep. we moved indoors, crappy British weather too. So we were protected from the elements. Uh, in fact, when it started raining, it was good because everyone would come, come into inside. the mall. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we'd be there. We started selling our hoodies, our t-shirts. I used to have my own brand of headphones and that became the bread and, bread and butter for me from 2014 to 2018 uh, or even early 2019. The majority of my income was coming through doing those pop-up shops. Interesting. So one thing that a lot, what, what's weird with my career trajectory is over probably 99% of people who know me discovered me since 2019. Mm. But I released my first album in 2006. So I've been going for a long, long time. So by, it's funny now people see me doing certain things or whatever, like, oh, this guy, you know, came out of nowhere or over. And I'm like, dude, like I've been grinding. Compounding. Like half, <laughs> yeah, like half my life. Like I've been, you know, I put out my first album 19. Oh, bro, like I'm, man, I'm 36 now. I'm just like, dude, like it doesn't even seem that long, but I've just been out there grinding. And with that has come, <laughs> you know, Thankfully, one thing people often say, I'm like, man, Zuby, like you've got away with words. You're so good at talking to people. And so I'm like, bro, I've spoken to more people than anybody. Mm -hmm. Or when people are like, oh, how do you deal with, uh, how do you deal with people saying mean things on the internet? How do you deal with it? I'm like, dude, I used to sell my CDs on the street. You ever heard of somebody for, say something mean to you decade. in person? <laughs> for a decade. <laughs> I would just be out there in different cities. Like literally, I just get in my van. I just go travel to Manchester for, stay in a crappy hotel for a week mm -hmm. and just go and every day I'm just out there, whatever the weather, talking to people, getting ignored, getting love, getting people hating on me, getting this, getting that. Just so I've already experienced like in person every mm -hmm. type of whether it from from love and praise to complete misunderstanding to being ignored. To be, it's also why I have so much like time and love and support and gratitude for where things are now. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I'm still on my pathway, but 
it always blows my mind if I go to an event, especially if I'm in the States, because I'm not even from here. Mm-hmm. Right? My mind is blown if I'm walking around Miami and someone's like, oh, hey, Zuby, like, over here. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like, I'm an independent rapper from England. Right? I'm from another country. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from a whole other country. And, and I don't have any machine behind me. Yeah. I don't have so I don't have a team. I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. I never had loads of money put into me or whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm, I'm in the White House. Oh, I'm talking. Joe Rogan wants to talk to me. Oh, I'm hanging with Tucker Carlson. Oh, I'm here with I'm here with Pump. Like, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm being asked to speak at, you know, uh, in October, I'm going to. I'm going to Australia. I've been invited to speak at some big events in Australia. I'm like, whoa. And I'm going there and people are like, yeah, I can't wait for you to come. And I'm like, yo, that's wild. It's on the other side of the world. Yeah. I'm like, like, that's nuts. Like, yeah, I mean, I take off on Monday, land on Wednesday. That's how far away it is. (laughs) And I'm just like, man. So I, I just feel such an extreme gratitude for every person. I mean, I, I did an event. Um, I did a bunch of events last month. I spoke mm-hmm. at um, the Young Americans for Liberty um, National Student Conference, the Young Americas Foundation National Conservative Student Conference, uh, Freedom Fest in Las Vegas, and so on. And in all these events, I don't know, Lord knows how many selfies I took mm-hmm. and you know, t- just talking to everyone who wanted. And even sometimes with the organizers, Cause they always want to, you know, as a speaker, they always want to make sure that you're like, okay. And people aren't bothering you. And I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. They're like, yo, like you don't have to take all these. And I'm like, I will take every photo mm-hmm. everyone wants. Like I've worked my butt off mm-hmm. for this to have, like the fact that these people even know who I am, mm-hmm. let alone love what I'm doing and have taken some inspiration. For, if it means I'm standing here cheesing for two hours, mm-hmm. as long as I don't have like something else to rush off to. I will do it. You, you know, I, I do meetups in different yep. cities. Like I'll go, I'll just hang with people. And I would like to do that as long as it is physically possible to do, no matter how big or famous or whatever I become in the future. To me, it's always from the beginning. It's always been about people. Mm-hmm. It's always been about wanting to helping to help motivate, inspire people in different ways. I don't view myself as like, Oh, uh, this is another thing that with, with that change in how, celebrity works now, right? Because before it was kind of like you're cultivated to be a celebrity and then you're put in this place where you're, that's why there's so many of them are so out of touch, right? So they, they've kind no, of been on this movies, weird pedestal. There's movie stars who could tweet and, and be like, I'm going to be at the, you know, whatever location and no one shows up. And if you tweet and you're like, I'll be here, <laughs> a thousand people show up. It's like, who, who's famous, Yeah, right? but, but but they wouldn't even do that because they, they it's beneath so, them. So, yeah, so many of them, they're, they're viewed in this different echelon, almost like mm-hmm. you're not really a human. And I think what's really cool about the kind of thing that we do and how we've grown with organically with our social mm-hmm. media and everything is, um, number one, you've been on that whole journey. So you keep a level of, yeah, we're both confident people, but you're humble. Mm-hmm. You're humble. I'm, I'm not like here like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm this super celebrity guy and y'all are below me or something. It's like, no, like I'm me because like, of you. You guys support me. And so that's why... I'm even able to to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I think it's way more relatable. It's way more real. It allows you to be authentic. And it also means that the people who know you, generally, uh, yeah, of course, we have our haters or whatever. But the people who know you, they don't just know you because you're on TV all the time. Or, oh, you're just that famous actor or whatever. Mm-hmm. They know you because they like what you do. Of course. And that is, that's awesome. But it also is... Um uh, is real impact. I think a lot about like, um, 
in the world, there's a lot of people who say, I, I do X. Mm-hmm. And you're like, cool, what, like, what, what is the impact of it? And sometimes they just don't know, right? They just they don't get it. But then there's a lot of people who are like, uh, um, we reach X number of people. And you're like, cool, but are, are they like paying attention, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, Mr. Beast manager, uh, Reed, uh, he did a uh, interview with um, Colin and Samir. I don't know if you've seen these guys. They, they do uh, interviews with uh, people in like the YouTube ecosystem. Okay. And uh, uh, I was listening to it. Somebody sent it to me and he said something that was just fascinating. He goes, if you watch three videos of somebody on TikTok, you probably don't even know who they are, mm-hmm. what their name is, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you watch three YouTube videos of somebody, you definitely know what their name is. 100%. Right? And it's just a difference of the audience relationship with the, the personal stuff. But then you move into longer stuff. If somebody is still listening to this right now, <laughs> they've been listening for, you know, two hours and 20 minutes or whatever, right? Like, damn, they, they pr- definitely know what your name is, right? Um, and then you move it into the physical world. And then you get even to like uh, uh, Shulton is uh, special. He's got a joke. He's like, man, I'm, I'm judging all presidents now on whether they can move merch, merch or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you can move merch, yeah, yeah people like you, right? <laughs> so like you, you kind of like there's all these like stages to it. But what you realize is it comes back to like why does anybody care? Mm. It's because there's some, but you, there's some impact that happened, right? There, there's some like real connection to it. And so I even think for myself, like there's certain people who, if, uh, if they came to Miami, I'd be like, fuck other people show up and I'd be like, you know, what? I, I would pay money to go there, sit and for two hours, right. Uh, uh, consume everything that they're saying, all this stuff. Cause I, it, I find it fascinating or mm. it has some impact or whatever. That's true of every single person in the world. Mm. The difference though, is the authenticity. And this gets to the whole like movie star versus people on the internet. Nobody thinks that the movie star is authentic except for you see some of the movie stars now using social media to become authentic. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty much it, right? And this is also how you can now – what's also funny with it is you can also tell who's an asshole now. Well, 100%. Right? I'm sure there are celebrities out there who – Maybe you had a certain view on, and then actually you see how they are on social media, how they talk to other people, and how mm-hmm. they treat people. I'm like, man, this guy's this guy's not cool. Yeah, fucking loser. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I th- I think I think that's dope. Um, some people might think some people don't like the sort of loss of the mystique, or they don't like the fact that oh, you know, they learn that their favorite author or actor is actually not very nice. Um, but to me, it's cool. I think that the truth is whether or not you like the truth, the truth is good to have out there. And, um, I see you eyeing up that book. This book is the last thing I want to talk about. Yeah. The candy calamity, which is a children's book yeah. that you wrote mm-hmm. and you published with brave books. And it's got amazing graphics, all this stuff in it. Why did you write a children's book? Cause it fits into a lot of what we talked about today. It does. It does. So I have a simple heuristic to decide whether or not I want to do something. And it's because I'm very clear on my mission and I have been for over 15 years. And my mission in life is to positively impact, inspire, and motivate as many people as possible through my words and my talents. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to do that primarily just through music. And as time has evolved, lots of additional things have been added to that. So if I think something is going to move the needle on that, I typically say yes to it. If I don't, I typically say no. So Brave Books reached out to me last year um, and they were like, man, we've been following you for a while. All of our staff 
love what you do and we're always sharing your tweets and sharing clips of your videos and stuff. So we'd love to, we'd love to do a children's book with you. Um, and I'd, I'd heard of them already cause I know a couple people who'd done books with them and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Sim clearly passes that test. I mean, children are not a demographic that I've primarily t targeted. Mm -hmm. Um, teenagers with my music, you know, lots of teenagers have bought my music and stuff, but that sort of younger age group. And I was like, oh, cool. And then they were like, have a, have a think about what sort of topics. They typically do more books that are more sociopolitical mm -hmm. in, in terms of the overall message. It's not on the nose because it's still children's books. But I was like, you know what? I, I want to do one that's totally apolitical, mm -hmm. um, has no slant to it in any way, and just has a positive and inspiring message. 2019, I'd written my book for um, adults called Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. That's, you know, sold over 10,000 copies independently. It's helped a lot of people to lose weight and get in shape. And I was like, man, there aren't that many children's books talking about health and fitness. And why Why? Why is it important? You know, parents will tell their kids, eat, eat healthy, you know, mm -hmm. go out and exercise. They won't normally tell them why. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, let me have a story which is fun and it's an adventure and it's beautifully illustrated and I made it all rhyme. Um, but it's about the importance of health, nutrition, exercise, and self-control. So in the story of the uh, – in, in the book, it's about not going um, – avoiding the extremes, right? Not mm -hmm. to be a complete lazy slob and to sit there and eat candy all day but also don't exercise and forget to eat. Don't, don't exercise to the point that you're forgetting to eat and you're exhausting yourself and you're, and you're passing out, that there's a healthy balance. So that's the message I wanted to convey in the book. And um, it was also just fun. You know, I also say yes to things that excite me. As soon as I heard it, I was like, yo, actually, a children's book wasn't on my radar, but it is right now. And that would be cool. And that'll be fun. And that'll help more people. And um, it's done so and it's doing that. What has been the response from like parents and stuff that... Yeah, so really, really positive. I, I've had some really nice uh, videos and photos, which are always fun to get. Like, just people send you a DM, and it's like their child holding their child holding the book, or like them reading. I'm like, man, that's that's so beautiful. Um, uh, so I, I'm not a parent yet. I do have nine nieces and nephews, so I that's basically yeah. like the honorary. Parent <laughs> yeah. When you're so yeah. I, when I was actually writing it, I was running it by them. They range between like three and sixteen. So, <laughs> so I was, when I, when it was still just digital before it got printed, I was showing them, you know, have a look at it and even just putting on an iPad and seeing how captivated they are and, you know, see, can, can you read along with the rhymes and so yep. on? So I kind of was able to field test it a little, a little, little bit on them. Yeah, testing yeah, yeah. going on there. <laughs> a little, little sort of test This group. book was A-B tested yeah, by yeah. a group of nine kids. <laughs> yeah. where, where can people go to get the book? You can get the book at candycalamity.com. Okay. Um, Brave Books, which is at uh, bravebooks.com, they also do a subscription. So they release a new book every month. So if someone wants to get their monthly book, you can get the subscription. It's all targeted for kids. Yeah. They're all, they're all children's books. Um, but yeah, candycalamity.com. Uh, you can grab is, it right uh, there. I, I, I just love also, by the way, uh, I don't know if people are going to be able to see if they're watching on the video, but the the look of the candy right on the front, I'm like, yeah, I've been, yeah. <laughs> I've been in that mood before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you're a Zuby fan, it's got, it's got a couple, uh, it's got a couple little references in there that people might understand. Like, uh, okay, dude. Okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You you have been able to capitalize on a number of different ridiculous uh, events from the uh, the deadlifting to the okay dude the okay dude one was probably the, 
the uh, did did you ever get any blowback for the the shirts and all that? No, no, you just laughed. Nah, I made five figures from it, but um, yeah, okay, yeah, from the merch, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, no blow. I mean, I'll be honest, man. People always ask me about blowback and hate and yeah. criticism and nasty stuff, and yeah, there's some of it, but honestly, it's it's like maybe two percent, and it's and it's only online. Yeah, it's course. only online. In the real world, everything is cool. Everything's blessed. People are ultra nice. I've had people come up to me in the stream, like, "Yo, Pop, what's up?" Yeah, like, hey, nice to meet you. Whatever. DM me on Twitter mm-hmm. so that I uh, uh, have your information or whatever, mm. and I will go look. And in the fucking DM, well, bet Pop, you're an idiot. Like, oh really? <laughs> I'm like, and you know, it's like two years before. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah. I'm like. Don't DM me if that's what you DM me before. <laughs> like what? And I just been like, "Are you good?" Mm. And they're like, "Yeah, sorry, man. You know, I just had a bad day that day, whatever." Like, and I'm like, cool, dude. That happens all the time. Yeah, I I, 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 I tell people this, especially people who want to grow on social media. There are at right now there are millions of people scrolling through their Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram feeds looking for something to get upset about. Yes, they're having a bad day. They're already angry. And you might just be the person that day who comes across their feed, <laughs> who's saying something they don't like. And it's don't take it personally. Yeah. Right. Sometimes people are just in a nasty mood and you're the person who's in their crosshairs that day and they lash out at you. Also, some people just have weird ways of trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. So they might think by saying by calling you an idiot, that's the best way to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Um in some ways, it kind of is because we react more to negative <laughs> than we do to positive. You'll certainly get noticed, but I'm probably not going to do you any favors after you've called me an idiot. So I, it's not the approach I recommend. But and some of it's probably just bots. I just look. I was. I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. I'll try to do better next time. I try to do better. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they're like, uh, yeah. like, like it's kind of hard, right? Or, or like I remember one time somebody. Uh, I think it was an email. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he emailed me, and he was like, "You're the biggest fucking moron, blah blah whatever." And I just remember responding and just being like, "Well, if I was the smartest guy in the room, I'd be in the wrong room." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then they're kind of like, "Uh, yeah, it that's, that's people, true. doesn't like, it?" But yeah. yeah, you're just like, how do you react to yeah. somebody who's sometimes, like, yeah. sometimes I've had people like apologize. Like sometimes someone comes at me like super harsh. And then I won't respond in kind and I'll be kind of like, well, you know, like, hope you, hope you still have a good day or whatever. And they're like, and then, you know, they'll message a couple of like, sorry, man, I was kind of an asshole. Hey man, that's cool. No problem. Just don't yeah. be an asshole on the internet. Exactly. Right? Exactly. All right. Where can we send people to find you on uh, Twitter too? Just at Zuby Music? Yeah, sure. Music? At, at Zuby Music. Yeah. On all social media at Zuby Music. And what's the website? Teamzuby.com. Teamzuby.com. And by the time this podcast comes out, the new version should have been launched. I'm uh, doing a whole new merch relaunch. I've shifted my whole merchandise operation to the USA. Got brand Woo! new stuff. Yeah. So it's going to, the, mer- the merch is going to be taken over in the next year. All right. So teamzuby.com, candycalamity.com. That's right. And then Zuby Music on all social media. That's it. I, uh, you are welcome here whenever you want, my friend. I enjoy talking to you every single time, so thanks so much. Appreciate it, appreciate it, bro. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. 
Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends, and I'll see you all for the next episode.